How did you grow grenade bars from 500 quid to 500 million pounds? How long have you got? <laughs> Alan Barrett, the CEO of Grenade. One of the UK's fastest growing brands. The next billion dollar brand. I dropped out of school. Education just wasn't for me. And I learned really early on, personality gets you a long way. We are disrupting confectionery. We didn't invent protein bars. We invented good ones. And we just gave consumers an alternative. Mm. Oh, wow. We got the tank out on the road. The right. big orange tank. What, Haskell on there as well? That's right, Haskell's on, on the front. Yeah, he was on the front. Yeah, he was on, he was on the front. <laughs> can't do this stuff on your own. I defy 100%. anyone to do it on your own. You've got to have someone behind you. It must get in the way of having a relationship. As the brand became successful, the, the marriage became least successful. Yeah. You know, we just ended up really as, as, as business partners. Yeah. What was the different types of pressure you were under? The best example I could think of is... Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sports and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Al Barrett is the founder and owner of Grenade, the UK's largest sports nutrition and protein bar company. After spending decades in the sport industry, Al has played a pivotal role in the brand's growth and success, expanding its presence globally. This is the eventful life of Mr. Al Barrett. Al, welcome to the show, mate. Hi, Dodge. For the second time, yes, part mate. two. Part, part two. two. Here we go. Here we go. Um, let's roll all the way back. Where, how did you grow... Grenade bars from 500 quid to 500 million pounds. How long have you got? <laughs> an hour. And, and is the cam- is the, I can't do it in an hour. Is the camera recording this time? We're on. <laughs> we're we're on. on. We're on. We're ready to go. Oh, how far do you want to go back? Just just, just touch over your childhood and, okay. let's, and then let's get into the business nuts and bolts. Okay. I mean, look, I, you know, as, as there's always a good entrepreneurial story, isn't there, behind all these brands. They're always extensions of their founders. Um, and going right back to when I was a kid, oh, yeah, I, I'm actually from probably tell from my accent, I'm from Birmingham. Um, so I grew up in Hallgreen in Birmingham, but my mum and dad had got a caravan on the south coast in Poole, actually up the road. So all my childhoods, really, and my weekends and all holidays, I didn't go abroad till I was like 18. All my holidays were down in the caravan, down in Poole. And then my youngest memory is standing at the, um, the fence for the Royal Marine Commando Training Centre over just by Poole Harbour, mm. watching the military guys train. So... From my, you know, my earliest memory, I always wanted to be a Royal Marine. So I was always fascinated with the military um, and also the performance behind the military as well. And I was never really a sort of sporty kid at school. So I was never interested in all the conventional sports that my mates were interested in, like football and whatever. But, um, you know, both my grandparents had sort of fought in World War II. And then there's all this amazing military history history around here. And then in the 90s, and you'll remember this, then if you're a fan, but like all of the big action films of the mm. 90s, like mm. the late 80s, mm. where well, that was the deck of the action film, wasn't it? So Arnold, Stallone, Van Damme, you know, what's the one thing they've all got in common? Because it wasn't obviously acting mm. prowess, was it? You know, they've all got these amazing physiques. Mm. The American wrestling's really popular at the time. I'm like 10 stone, ringing wet, quite academic at school, not interested in sport, bit of a nerd, but like the military. And I'm, and I'm interested. I'm thinking, I want to look like this. You know, I want to look like Arnold's. It's quite skinny. I mean, you just going to be big Al for a joke. Mm. So um, 
ultimately, yeah, sort of 47 years later, my love of the military and my interest in, in, in fitness and weight training kind of culminated in a business that was yeah, started with a 500 pound UKTI passport to export loan and, uh, and, and from a spare bedroom in, in Solihull Hull at the time into a business now that's half a billion and, and, and growing. So pretty much 486 million, I think, to be exact. Is that 486 million pound turnover? No, so that's, yeah, so, so turnover this year probably be around about 120 million, something mm. like that. Would be more if we could get the stock. Bearing in mind as well, that's, you know, we, we do a lot now, sort of direct to consumer, um, of .com or whatever, but all of our customers really are wholesale customers. You know, it's Amazon, Tesco's Boots. We're a, I'm old school, I used to work in a shop, so mm. I like shops. Mm. And, you know, basically, yeah, we're a high performance food product now, but, you know, this is all stuff that you buy in store when you're hungry to a certain extent. Yes, people stock up, at, you know, to a certain extent at home, but like, you know, if you're hungry, you can go online, but you know, when's it going to turn up? Mm. So uh, I worked in a shop when I was like 17. I worked in Workout World in Birmingham and I just for a, for a, for a food brand, I've always been quite interested sort of in, in, in retail. And um, yeah, so all of our customers are big wholesale customers. So we've got now probably 200,000 locations just in the UK, you mm. can buy our stuff. So, you know, the, the rate of sale is, 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 is phenomenal. Number one Amazon, best-selling item in on Amazon on in food. So I think, I mean, like you know, we were number one. Coffee's number two. Mm. <laughs> um, so that the 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 um, the figures are, are, are you know are mind blowing for me. And I'm an unqualified personal trainer from from Birmingham. But the um, if you think you know in terms of brand retail sales, you know what? Because you know we're, we're our bars now are like three quid. You know we're not getting three quid for them. The retailer is and beyond, but we're not getting that. But yeah, in terms of retail, how sales, much would you be getting per bar roughly? Oh, I couldn't possibly say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> two two ninety nine. Um, no, but the so the but in terms of like you know the actual, there's a lot of other direct consumer brands out there where they get the full benefit of the margin, yeah. don't they? Basically, but you know we don't. Um, but ultimately, in terms of retail sales. Oh yeah, we'd be sort of four, five hundred million each, but uh, you know, easily. But the um, the figure I'm quoting is basically when when Mondelez bought us and invested in Grenade back in 2021. Mondelez have made two investments in the UK. Mondelez, by the way, is this number will have heard of it, but it's the spin-off arm of Kraft. So Kraft in the US is is basically food there yeah. and Heinz and whatever. It's so ridiculously big. You can imagine, really, you know. They, they own food brands in America, mm. so it's like you know a license to print money. They got so big they weren't allowed to acquire anything else, so they set up a little spin-off snacking business called Mondelez, and that little business bought Oreo, um, it, your Dairy Lee, Philadelphia, Belvita. Um, it's bought uh, Chapita. It bought Cadbury. Um, and you're saying, so 10, this, is, and you're saying this is a little business. This is the little, little. business, yeah, <laughs> 100, 100 billion market yeah, cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That little business has bought two businesses in the UK. One's Cadbury mm. and the other one's Grenade. So we're now based at Bourneville. And yeah, they, they valued the business at 200 million back in 2021. Yeah. And that was on numbers at the time with sort of a, a 28 um, times EBITDA multiplier. 28 it, times EBITDA? Yeah, it's unheard of. So anyone off. listening, 28 times the net profit? That's mega. It's unheard of, and and since why then, such a high valuation? Do you think? Because I think of what we'd created and the nature of the brand in terms of what we were doing, and you can imagine, you know, really, um, yeah. So the five hundred million, by the way, comes from you know the same multiplier now with our numbers. That's that's where we get to the, the half a billion. Mm. But but the the reason why such a punchy valuation is there's this distinctiveness 
yeah, distinctiveness really of what we'd created and continue to create, the how hard it is to get into the wider food business, the wider food market. You know, most businesses that start up now and taking nothing away from them because anyone who starts a business, fair play, and it's hard mm. and it's getting harder. But, you know, a lot of these Instagram type brands, they kind of grow D to C quite yeah. quickly. You know, they know the consumers are. You know, try getting into retail. Yeah. They don't have elastic shelves. Just it's, explain, it's just explain to the listeners what retail, how you'd describe retail. Oh, yeah. So, but what I'm saying about retail, so, you know, getting on shop shelves. Yeah. So, I, I genuinely, it, it would be easier for me to probably say in the UK where we don't sell, and that's probably Starbucks. You know, you could okay. buy us in a Costa, just about, you know, 10,000 petrol stations in the UK. We'll be in all of those. And you know, if you imagine, if you go into your local petrol station, what's in there? Mm. You know, bread, milk, yeah. tea, coffee, Cadbury's, you know, Mars. Just, yeah. I mean, just the very, very best known mm. brands you can think of. Well, imagine you want to get into a, into a, a petrol station. Mm. Someone else is coming out. Yeah. They don't have elastic shelves. So imagine, you know, trying to get, and I'll go into this later, how we got into our petrol stations, because mm. you've got to do the hand-to-hand mm. combat and start somewhere. So you can imagine, you know, to all those people, competitors, and they're all owned by Unilever and Mars yeah. and, and Mondelez, you know, they've all got a lot more money than we have. So um, I, I think, you know, to answer your question, why pay so much? Uh, we're 13 years in now. Um, you know, number one selling item on, in, in food on Amazon um, one of the highest rated selling items in, in supermarkets, um, growing rapidly across the, the world. Um, probably you'll find us in at least 80 to 100 countries, but with a really good solid footprint, a, a good 40. So 80, like, 80, 80 to 100 countries, that's unbelievable. There's 195 countries in the world. Oh, yeah. So within a year, we were actually in 135 countries. We scaled it back. So, Bloody But by me saying that, you know, we're in 40 with the footprint, that is like we've got a team over there. We've planted a flag there yeah. uh, and we're taking it seriously. And we, we are the number one bar or we intend to be the number one bar. And, uh, you know, if we aren't number one, we will be. And we think we'll hold it for the next 20, 25 years. So that's basically how we think. If we can't do that with a country, we just won't bother. Yeah. Um, so that that's what we think of that. But again, just to, to answer your question, you know, why pay so much? Um, it, it's an unbelievably hard industry to get into. Making product is easy, but selling products difficult. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, we supply all UK military and special forces and, you know, have done for years. And it's a very, very distinctive, protectable, trusted credible brand with 200 trademarks design marks 200 patents. trademarks oh yeah we yeah we we, we trademark everything wow. okay so that's where the, you know the money went over the years we were you know buying trademarks and domains and protecting stuff and patenting stuff and because it's a super copycat industry but the nice thing with grenade and this was deliberate it's a very very distinctive thing so to protect the name and the shape it's really quite straightforward yeah. because it either looks like a grenade or it doesn't. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, there's no room for error there. So it, just in terms of the, you know, the, the quality of the brand, really. Mm. And again, the, the, the people. Um, and we, we have and we are disrupting confectionery. Mm. And confectionery, if you think what's been disrupted over the years, you know, taxis and hotels, you know, with Airbnb and Uber and, and whatever. And there's a few things and the drinks industry has been heavily disrupted. Um confectionery hadn't you know mm. when we sort of looked at this and and figured out what we wanted to do and move from sort of cutting edge sports nutrition into bars and 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 take on the, the food industry as such um and take on the confectionery brands which we've got nothing against like you know we love chocolate i grew yeah. up with cadbury's um but you know you know you can't be eating it every day so when we kind of we we wanted to put an alternative 
product out there that consumers will get benefit from that's you know better for them than lots of other stuff um, on the shelf. So where did you identify that then? Because if you go and get a chalky bar, it's full of sugar and really low in protein. Yes. Yeah, so you've we, gone in and gone, right, I'm going to give you 30 <clears throat> odd grams of protein, really low sugar, and that bar is less calories than a Mars bar. Yeah, so we flipped it. So I was consumer number one. Yeah. So I was out and about traveling and, and going into petrol stations. And again, if you're super organized with your food, brilliant, but I'm not. So you're kind of eating what's in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, how many times do you see people? And it's interesting watching people come out of petrol stations and, you know, they've got a pasty and a Mars yeah. bar and a Red Bull and what a monster, you know, fine. But they're doing that every day. Yeah. And okay, you can go and buy a, um, you know, a pretty average sandwich potentially. And I say average, but actually petrol stations now are so much better than they they've used the to game, be. They've really they? up the game because they yeah. had to. And there's, yeah. lots of, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. But certainly you're buying what was there. And for somebody who just wanted to eat something that was better for me, mm. you know, hit the nail on the head. Everything's low protein, high mm. sugar. And I've, I've trained for 30 years. Mm. So I want all my stuff to be high protein, low sugar. Yeah. And of course, sugar's treat cheap and protein's expensive. So not only did we disrupt confectionery, we put an alternative product. We gave consumers a choice. You can buy something high protein um, and low sugar, and you're going to pay like, you know, 253 quid for it. Or you can have something that's low protein and high sugar, and it's going to cost you 60p. Mm. But you are getting, you know, consume a lot of sugar. Mm. And Traditionally, protein bars tasted diabolical. They were like dog yeah. chews. So we didn't invent protein bars. Mm. We invented good ones. Yeah. And it was a great industry for us to, to, to come in and, and disrupt. First of all, you know, we, we, we made a product better than everyone else and continue to disrupt ourselves because we're the first people. If we can make something better, we do. Because mm. if we don't, someone else will. Mm. So we'd rather disrupt ourselves. Um, but, uh, yeah, by... A, you know, competing with the uh, confectionery brands and not as in a, you know, we're good, they're bad. We're like, well, you can have that, but you can also have this. You're going to pay more for it. And we just gave consumers an alternative. And I think the confectionery brands didn't think consumers would would do that, wouldn't pay more for something potentially better for them because um, traditionally protein bars tasted bad. But because we made one that is now sort of, you know, argue, arguably indistinguishable from many chocolate bars. And certainly now we've partnered with, uh, Mondelez, the first thing we did was an Oreo variant. Yeah. So they made us sugar-free Oreo pieces. Yeah. So again, straight away, take all the sugar out of the Oreo, mm. put it with our bar technology and our protein and whatever. Mm. What'd you get? Oreo, grenade bar. Yeah, Amazing. Win-win. I mean, yeah, launch that. Day of launch, selling nine bars every second, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Um, and they started selling online for like 20 quid each a bar because you couldn't get them. When you, when <laughs> you stuff, looked so. at this, like let's roll all the way back. So 2010... That's when you first come up with the idea with the grenade name. That's Tell right. me the journey where you were just before that, moving into grenade to say, I'm actually going to start a grenade brand here. And obviously I'm, I'm taking it uh, that you didn't go straight into bars. I would have thought you'd be working it all out and going, hold on, let's go to bars. What was that journey look like? Yeah, you're right. We'd got no interest. Well, say we got no interest. It hadn't occurred to us to do bars. So I guess to explain where grenade came from, I've got to say what I was doing for the... 10 or 15 years prior to that, which was working in gyms. So I dropped out of school because I hated it. Um, education just wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, I thought the system was probably pretty fundamentally broken. Um, still is, you know, I've got a good memory. So education's a memory test. The teachers would say, you know, X, Y, Z. I'd repeat it back to them and they'd go, oh, well done, you're clever. And you think, mm. well, you just told me that. Yeah. Well, what? Um, so I, the first chance I got to drop out of school, I did and went to work in my local gym. And my parents were furious. They were like, you're wasting your life. You're better than this. You can go and do anything you wanted. But again, going back to the days of me being 15 and on work experience and being a skinny, um, you know, big Al wrestling fan, 
Um, I, I just love, I've always done what I loved. So I love working in a gym. So I worked in gyms for 10 years. That led into me getting interested in supplements, which weren't really in the UK at the time. What rough year are we talking here? Uh, so we're now talking sort of uh, late 90s. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, working in the gym from sort of 90, uh, 94 to kind of 99, um, I set up. And then uh, from 1999 to 2003, I worked at, um, at Future Fitness in Coventry. But it, mid-1999, uh, I was interested in, in, in supplements and basically set up um, a distribution business, which was distributing sort of mostly American-made yep. sports nutrition just around gyms in, in the UK. And they were, say the gyms, they were like, they're not the health clubs that you're sort of thinking yeah. of now. These are the hardcore, spit and sawdust, yeah, like, you know, Temple Gym, yeah. Birmingham, Dorian's yeah, yeah, Gym, yeah, yeah. you know, like electrical cables yeah. hanging down. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, again, when I was on work experience at 15, the Chapel Gym in Sturchley in Birmingham, the, the downstairs bit where the uh, all the leg equipment was, mm. it used to flood. Mm. So uh, if you wanted to train legs and it had rained, you know, you were getting wet. Mm. And there's like, again, electrical cables and stuff hanging down. It's like, zzz, 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 and it's like, you know, yeah, fuck it. We're going to get big yeah, legs, you know. Yeah. So how no one died is amazing. Yeah. But I remember squatting down there when I was like 16 years old in two feet of water. Mm. And you just did it. I mean, mm. I'm going to do it now. Mm. So, um, yeah, I had the idea. And, and I was always a poor eater. I was kind of skinny. I was, I, I never, I didn't have a bad relationship with food. But if I wasn't hungry, I wouldn't eat. So I found it very difficult to eat the amount of food that I needed to consume. Became interested in supplements because they were new and they were like American and sexy and exciting. And I guess sort of as a shortcut and it was kind of easier. So you're talking supplements. So you're talking protein powders. Yeah, protein powders. Yeah, okay. yeah. So pretty much protein powders okay. and nothing else. I mean, again, there'd have been protein bars, yeah. but really bad ones. And I remember having protein powders in the 90s. And Disgusting, i Oh, being yeah. li gagging, yeah. Li yeah. literally gagging. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember what well, stories come back to me. I remember once this is going to sound uh, incredibly gross, but um, having protein powder mixed in with oats one night and just kind of force feeding myself and I force feeding myself to the point that like I was just I was sick back in the bowl mm. and I was thinking, oh, well, that was for nothing. Do I eat that? And I thought, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But, you know, tins of tuna, tins yeah. of rice pudding, yeah. um, you know, just all the stuff you do back in the 90s. So I thought I was interested in supplements and then set up this business, a sale business, just me, no customers, no product really, just uh, the back of my car. I had a, a, a Nissan Primera. Um, and uh, I remember driving around gyms asking if they'd want supplements. And they were like, no, <laughs> mm. we don't really. We don't believe in them. No one will buy them. No one will buy supplements. And I thought they would because I was, you know, customer number one for uh, for my distribution Would business. they not do sale of return? Well, that's actually what happened. So, yeah, in the US, they'd call it on consignment. But, yeah, basically, um, I think I probably invented sale of return mm. in the UK, certainly for supplements. So I'd go around the gyms and I'd say, look, I'll, I'll buy the stuff. I'll put it in. If it doesn't sell, don't pay me. Yeah. And they were like, okay, yeah. sounds good to us. Um, and I remember my first gym was a gym called Chic Physique in Birmingham. And I got them to take a box of flapjacks that I think I paid 10 quid for. And I charged them 15. Um, and I remember coming back the next week and I think he'd sold about three flapjacks. So I couldn't invoice him. And I went back again the next week and he'd sold three or four more flapjacks and I didn't invoice him. And I think the third week I went back and he'd sold over half the box. And I said, like, I can't take these back. I need to invoice. You know, mm. I went fine. I invoiced him 15 quid. Mm. So I'm like, oh, I've made a fiver. But I hadn't because I'd driven there three yeah, times. Course, yeah. And there was a lot of that. Mm. But as as that business grew and having worked in gyms, I became very good with people, very good at reading people, good with names, very good memory. 
And, and I learned really early on, personality gets you a long way. I learned that at school. And, uh, you know, the amount of people now, even whenever, even if you've got no money and you've got no skills and you've got no ideas and I, everyone's always got the personality yeah. um, and it's free. So uh, I've always been good at getting people to probably do stuff they probably shouldn't necessarily do, mm. but they've kind of wanted to back me or help me out. And even to this day, that still seems to be the case, which is, you know, remarkable, I guess. Um, but yeah, going around these gyms and, and out of the back of my, my, my car and, you know, one or two products probably turned into 10 and then, you know, my boot was always full and then that turned into a van and that turned into a couple of vans and that turned into a warehouse. And I just set up this kind of, um, one-man band sports nutrition business that was supplying all the gyms around Coventry, Birmingham, Leicester in the you know the early noughties um, and really enjoying it, working incredibly hard, you know, seven days a week, didn't have a day off for, for years, um, got my work ethic from uh, my, um, my, my family, especially on my, my dad's side. They were all heavy goods vehicle mechanics, um, you know, hard manual labour like after the Second World War, um, Literally, they all died at work, literally. My granddad, uh, he went blind and went to work. He was 82. Um, my uncle, my dad's brother, he had a stroke uh, at 74. Didn't know what to do, so he went to work. Turned up. My dad's like, geez, what's happened with you? And he went, his face is down one side. He went, I think I've had a stroke. I mean, it, it, unbelievably yeah. sad, really. Yeah. He never got married, never had kids, never left home. Mm. Just all they did was work, 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 work. So got the work ethic from them. So, um, you know, God, I put some graft into in, into that business. Um, and then come sort of 2007, 2008, um, it was a really nice, what I'd call lifestyle business. Mm. And then to answer the question, you know, where did Grenade come from? That was primarily from, I was a middleman, I was a distributor, I never owned the brand and I was never really talking to the consumers. I was kind of importing product or buying from an importer. I was selling it to a gym and I was I was always in the middle and I was always getting squeezed. I was always getting squeezed from the, uh, the, the cost side. I was always getting squeezed from the retail side. Um, and I could just potentially see that, um, you know, that business potentially um, shrinking. And I kind of fell out of love with it. Mm. And, it, it and, and again, the fact of doing this stuff on sale return got to the stage where I'd kind of proven the concept. And, um, you know, it, this didn't have to be a sale return business anymore. And it was a hard model to move a, away from. Um, and supplements getting a lot more competitive. And I lost, I started to lose faith in what I was selling because genuinely as someone who likes selling stuff, and again, you'd be a good example of this, you know, you want to make money, but you want to make money with a conscience. Yep. The reason my business did so well was I would never put anything into a gym that I wouldn't use myself. Yep. And I cherry picked the best of every brand. So one brand would have the best protein powder. Another brand might have the best pre-workout. Mm. Another brand might have the best multivitamin. Can you remember any <clears> of these brand names? Oh, I can remember all of them. Go on. Uh, so ProLab. Mm. Uh, Champion Nutrition, mm. Metrex, yeah. uh, EAS, so Myoplex, Solgar, Myoplex, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Maximuscle in the early days, BSN, mm. um, oh, and, and loads of other like you know obscure American brands. Mm. So one stage in you know, my warehouse, I've got probably 60, 70 different brands in there, but a lot of these brands I've got two hundred products, mm. and I've just got the top seller that everyone wants. I don't want the rest of the brand. So that taught me that you don't need a big range. You just need one product that sells. Yeah. So you can see now. What really, was your hero product back then? Oh, the hero product. Uh, I used to do a lot of a brand called Reflex yeah. um, based in, in Hove. So they're, they're protein powders. I used to do a lot of drinks, carb drinks and stuff from a, a brand called Nature's Best, um, Perfect Nutrition. 
Um, I would do fat burners was a big thing. I mean, yeah. like stackers, the original fat burners and yeah. stuff. You know, again, up the late nineties. Um, I mean, it was the Wild West. Mm. It really was the Wild West. No one West. knew, did they? No one knew. Yeah. Um, you, you weren't really going to find any of this stuff in supermarkets. It was too specialised. There was Holland and Barrett and GNC in the UK. Um, you know, GNC was getting quite quite big, so they had probably about sixty stores at their peak. It was starting to become a specialised section within Tesco called the Nutricenter. They had about twenty five stores, but yeah, there was a really tiny footprint of, of specialty retail, and then the the spit and sawdust gyms, mm. and you couldn't get this stuff anywhere else. And actually, no one really knew about it unless you were really serious about your training. You didn't really know about these supplements. And, and I realized back then, I thought, actually, lots of people could get benefit from this. Most people would get benefit from these weight loss products or those protein powders. So even like, you know, 30 years ago, I could see that this could and should become mainstream. But it was all very bodybuilding yeah. orientated. And the point I made about I started to lose a bit of faith in what I was selling. You were starting to see a lot of really well-marketed American stuff. That was rubbish. Yeah. I don't want to mention any brands, but you'd get um, you'd get products that you know were eighty quid, and I know they were making them for two quid and less. And they had this model where they'd kind of burn a consumer once, and then they'd use that money and they'd go and find another one. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm not saying like do any harm. What do you mean by burn a consumer? Just overcharging them for stuff <clears throat> okay. that was just dirty. So they wouldn't come back again. <clears throat> no, because of, because of the prices, yeah. and you know you'd got you'd got American companies taking out like you know magazines then this is pre-social media mm. remember so taking out adverts in magazines and you know they're taking out 80 pages yeah. of uh, uh, magazine adverts you know in your favorite training magazine back then you know flex magazine yeah. muscle and fitness health yeah. and fitness that became men's fitness yeah. men's health all started to become more mainstream and a lot of the kind of you know the the the, the lads mags like you know maxim and mm. nuts and loaded mm. again late 90s transitioned into men's health and men's fitness. Mm. I'm working in gyms at the time and I can see it. I can see people, younger lads coming in, getting more into the training. Yeah. Friday night, you know, coming to train before they went out. Yeah. And, you know, rather than going out at six o'clock of an evening on a Friday night, mm. they'd come in and train mm. and go out at eight o'clock mm. of an evening. And I can just see this transition. And then, um, you know, and again, I'm working in a gym and I'm working multiple jobs because at one stage I've got three jobs here. You know, I've got distribution business. I'm working in a gym and I'm doing personal training and I'm working the door. So yeah. if I'm awake, mm. I'm working mm. and, and even, and you know, and, and then some, I'd finish in a gym at five, train, be on the door for seven, work till two in the morning, mm. get home at three, be up at seven, eight, back mm. in the gym for 10, mm. working till five. I mean, it's literally... Proper it is, crafter. It's yeah. relentless for yeah, years. Yeah. What, for what years clubs are you working on the doors? Oh, in Birmingham, um, or oh, the dance scene in the 90s. Yeah. So, oh, Tintin, Subway City, uh, Wobble, Bonds. Wobble, do yeah, you remember that? Wobble, Bonds. On the street, dance yeah. floor, it yeah. just bounced, didn't bakers, it? Bakers, yeah. Studi Bakers. Yeah. Um, oh, just great times. And yeah. again, and all these businesses have always been intrinsically quite linked through mm. people you meet through gyms mm. you know you kind of if you work in a gym it's quite stereotypical isn't it you work in a gym you do pt and you end up on the door yeah it's just that's the, but i'm not your typical person you think yeah. i can't be on the door mm. um but did that you know literally to save up for my my first house um but going back to that supplement business of me getting uh quite dejected with um selling you know i wouldn't sell well-marketed products any were rubbish because my sale and return business couldn't sustain yeah. that because as you said the people aren't going to come back yeah. and then 
the flip side of that is there's a load of good supplements coming out, terribly marketed. Mm. <laughs> so you, you're torn because the stuff that's really good looks terrible and doesn't sell, um, but works. And the stuff that's all jazzy and all singing, yeah. all dancing, American mm. stuff that's in all the magazines and whatever is looks amazing, but mm. is shite and doesn't mm. work. So I thought, why can't you do both? Yeah. Why can't you have a really well-marketed product that does what it says on the tin? You know, the old Ron Seal mm. saying, mm. because as a consumer, and again, you know, the brands that are kind of charging consumers lots of money for supplements, taking that margin, going and finding another consumer, I thought it's got to be easier to keep existing customers happy than just keep looking for new ones. And I was convinced these kind of American brands would run out of consumers eventually. Mm. And they did. Yeah. And if you think actually all the, the, the brands I've just mentioned, like, you know, EAS in its peak was like a $350 million brand. You know, mm. Abbott Pharmaceuticals bought them. Um, you know, GlaxoSmithKline bought MaxiMuscle. Did they? And, oh, yeah, yeah, bought GSK, paid yeah. $160 million for GSK, mm. that brand now is probably worth seven million, eight million. Yeah. You know, and there's me with my supplements in the back of my car. And I've created a business that's fifty percent bigger than all of them. Mm. <laughs> um but it's taken me longer because I've done it the right way. Mm. And sports nutrition, again, pretty much like I guess the the current social media generation that we're in with instant gratification, you know, it's people look for quick wins mm. and Grenade's been a 30-year overnight success. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd done 20 years in the fitness industry before I started Grenade, mm. so I kind of knew what to do and what not to do. And then all these learnings of things over the years, talking to consumers, all start to manifest themselves into Grenade and that first product and what was intended to be our only ever product, which was that fat burner, the iconic Grenade bottle. Was that your was that your first product that you, yeah. you took we, on, we never the thought fat we, burner? Yeah, we never thought okay. we'd do another product. What you know? made you identify in the market there was an opportunity mm. to bring a fat burner in compared to other competitors um they were super popular it was the vast majority of people you'd speak to in gyms and i remember i'm spending 60 70 80 mm. hours a week in gyms all want to lose weight 80 percent want to lose weight um and it was a product that i knew a lot about and i felt we could make impactful because the problem with things like protein powders and drinks and stuff like that is people can't tell if they work yeah so other than taste You've really got no indication whatsoever yeah. it works. So, you know, you took an effective weight loss product, which is generally going to be caffeinated. Mm. Um, and, you know, you're going to want to do, you're going to feel it. You're going to want to do something. So it was more to do with the fact, um, you know, you, you get that feeling again, like a pre-workout, take it before you trained. You know, if you don't want to try and take a pre-workout, you were going to train, you were going to do yeah. something. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and certainly Grenade came from the fact that, again, a, a brand that people would remember because mm. also the 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 other thing we haven't discussed is most of these companies have got scientific sounding supplements mm. um and again you know i'll say if you like you know xenadrine mm. hydroxycut mm. zedracut you mm. know what how do you spell zedracut yeah, yeah. you know so you'd say to people oh you should try zedracut what you know they just wouldn't remember yeah. and these things always ended up being as well for the reason i've said um you know large supplements could be expensive um, there were there were lots of fat burners out there. Were like twelve capsules a day, and you'd say, you know, try saying to someone, yeah, take twelve of these a day. Firstly, they wouldn't remember because they go, oh, yeah, I forgot. I don't. I forget to take them, yeah. um, or I can't take capsules. I hate taking capsules. 
Um, so, you know, can't, can't I just take one or two or four or whatever? And again, if you took a, a product that was 100 capsules and it was 30 quid, it was lasting you eight days. Yeah. So I thought, actually, I want to provide sort of value for money here. So when we actually developed the Medetonator, our fat burner product, um, it was 45 quid, but it lasted a month. Okay. And nothing, everything else was cheaper, but lasted a week. Yeah. So we were the most expensive, but we were the cheapest. That's actually a really difficult message to convey mm, to a consumer. Mm. Um, but it was more expensive, but it lasted longer. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah, okay. you're getting a month's yeah. worth for 45 yeah, yeah. quid, not a week's worth yeah. for 30 quid. But you were getting consumers going, oh, well, it's really expensive. And going, but it lasts longer. You know, so these are all things that are really difficult to convey for consumer did fat burners, it takes time. Did fat burners for you work personally? Um, well, I never really needed them because I was a really skinny kid, mm. um, to be perfectly honest. But I like the idea of you know, taking a capsule or something pre-workout and going from, oh, you know, first thing in the morning and going from, oh, I'm a bit sleepy today, I don't really feel like doing anything. Because I never used to drink tea or coffee. Mm. I've only drank coffee the last probably 10 years. Mm. So um, having, you know, an effective weight loss product or, you know, some kind of thermogenic, having it, and it was like a slap in the face first thing in the morning. And again, because I was, school was always kind of quite scientific and and stuff, and I've always been interested in product and formulas and development. And um, I'd got the ideas of sort of making my own weight loss product over the years, looking and seeing what sold, what worked, what didn't work, different ingredients. Oh, that works, but it's expensive. That goes well with that. Mm. It was all kind of trial and error. So you're basically putting the whole jigsaw together. Absolutely. Um, So experimenting with both the formula of the product itself, what the product would look like, how protectable it would be, Mm. and how memorable it would be. Um, Because the thing about Grenade, it's all very deliberate. If I, if uh, you know, I'm sad to say, if you were to say, like, you know, even to probably a a 10-year-old child in most places in the world, you know, and pointed a touch of a grenade, they'll they'll know what it is. Yeah. It, th- that image and a grenade is the same in every country around the world. Yeah. It's the same thing. So it even got to the stage where, you know, you could see that that logo, that distinctive grenade logo that we've got, and you see it from 100 feet away. Mm. You, you can just see the mm. word grenade. You don't mm. even need to see mm. that, like the, the, the word. So what year did that come about then, the actual grenade bit? Because you've gone into, you're talking 2010 here. You 20, did, this you, is 2010. But, you didn't but, go straight into grenade, did you? No, but started started the formulation and the learning and the trademarking and the process probably back as early as 2006. Because mm. then this is the, the formulation of an idea. But I've already got my supplement business at this point. Mm. So I don't need a job you know it's not a, not a priority and then come sort of 2008 really fell over that supplement business sold it to my best mate he really wanted to do it um how much did you sell it to him for oh that so at the time we sold it for 400 grand which was basically just the the stock, stock. the stock that we yeah. had so you were at a um, point saying just take the stock away from me i'm out i uh, need to do something different uh, and, yeah and do you know what i did i worked for him for a year for free mm. because the customers that we built and the gyms all become good friends. I wanted the business to succeed. Yeah. I wanted him to succeed. This was 2008. We're in the middle of a financial crisis. Yeah. He left his job to, to run this business. I wanted it to continue. And I'm kind of thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm out at this point. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. I've got the grenade idea. Um, but, you know, we'll somehow kind of make it work. Um, had a few weeks off. And then this was very much kind of a, a hobby that turned into mm. an obsession. Um, and, yeah, you know, launched then in February 2010. Um, literally down to 27 quid um, in the bank. And I've got all these contacts in sort of sports nutrition because I've been buying off them for years. And everything that I ever done with the distribution business, we flipped. So all of our suppliers became our customers. So I went to see all my old suppliers and just went, I've got something to sell you. And because I bought from them for 10 years and been a good customer and everything I'd said I'd done, I'd I'd, I'd done. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd always... um, 
you know, under-promised and yet over-delivered. Mm. I'd never owed a penny in my life. I'd mm. always pay people on time early. Um, and again, like I said, pe people um, liked me and they gave us a shot. Everyone thought we were bonkers mm. um, because it was like, you know, you've got a product here that looks like a hand grenade, you know. Yeah. No one's going to put this on a So the actual first product was a hand grenade. Yeah, yeah so I'm sure we'll pop it on the screen yeah. now. But yeah, so, um, and we still sell it today. And it's still not the number one selling weight loss product in the UK. It's bonkers, like wow. 10, 12 years, 13 years your, running. So what was the journey after then? Because that couldn't have earned you a living. You no. said you got in there with 27 quid. How have you built something up? Did you borrow money from the bank? Have you borrowed money from anyone um, along the way? No, uh, just literally always used our own money. Yeah. Someone said to me once years ago, I never, I was only thinking about this yesterday, I'll never forget it. He said, oh yeah, always borrow money. He said, always use someone else's mm. money, never use your own. He said, so if you lose it, it doesn't matter. Mm. Could never and I thought, a horrible no. thing to say. Yeah. I thought, so um, no, I've, I've always needed a fire under me. I'm inherently quite lazy, actually. So for mm. someone who's worked so hard, yeah. I'm really lazy. So if I can do nothing, I'll do nothing. Mm. Um, and I need a fire under me. And this was something that, you know, looking back, I knew that was a good idea. I knew it was a good name. It wasn't a matter of, will this work? It's like, when this works. Mm. I actually thought it would probably get bigger quicker, if I'm totally honest. Mm. I don't want to sound arrogant, mm. but... Um, I was I was shocked at how difficult this was because I, I knew we got a good product that was well-branded and was protected. Mm. So we hadn't got any money or anything, but, um, you know, we'd got suppliers that extended us credit. Um, you know, pe people knew us. I mean, that the bottle, for instance, the bottle's key because the bottle didn't exist, that grenade bottle. We made that. Mm. Um, Where were uh, you bringing them in from? What country? UK. You all made, them in the all UK? made in Where the UK. Okay. Just fundamentally believe everything starts here. If we can make it here, we do. Yeah. It's really sad that a lot of the technology yeah, in isn't, isn't in the UK to, to do it. Because I know this frustrates through, Dark. Yeah. But it's um, if we can make it here, we do. Yeah. I, I'm And, and I, I, I've got to say this and, and, and give a shout out to them because this is terrible. When we went to UK Trade and Investment for, and the, you know, the clues in the name with UK, mm. Um, for this £500 passport to export, lo export loan. We, 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 we borrowed that money. Um, you had to spend the money to get it. So it was kind of, wasn't really a loan per se because mm. they basically refunded what you'd already bought. Um, but we used that to do a show in Germany. Um, and uh, when we said what we wanted to do, when we met UKTI at the house and said, we want to do this, we want to make everything in the UK. Um, and... Uh, they just said, I'll just go and make it in India and China. It's cheaper. Mm. First thing they said, never forget it. And just think, no, nah, okay. So apart from the 500 quid, they're no help because yeah. that's not what we <clears> want to do. Yeah. And ultimately, I remember saying to my dad, I need a, to make like a bottle that looks like a grenade. Mm. I've looked all over the internet. I can't find one. And um, and it's got to hold capsules. It's got to be food grade and it's got to have a tamper-proof lid. And Because this all sounds easy, but when you start thinking about it, you know, it's got to be tamper-evident because what happens if someone's got one in yeah. the gym bag and the kid gets it and takes a hundred, yeah. you know, yeah, 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 yeah. of our products that have got caffeine mm. in. Um, and you think, well, you know, can you, are you allowed to do that? Because it's a trading standards mm. issue because it looks like a weapon and it sounds straight. And again, yeah, it's and, true, and, and, it's, it? and it's yeah. a food. And yeah. It's like, oh God, this is a whole minefield. Have and, you ever been caught you know, out walking around with a grenade or in your bag with the old bill of gun? What's that in your bag? And you've gone, this is a grenade. Ask me that again in a minute. Yeah, Come back okay. to that. So I'll, I'll, t I'll tell you some, I'll tell you, this, they're quite funny now, but yeah, I'll tell you some horror stories about that, about your very various things. But yeah, remi remind me of that because I'll tell you where the bottle came from. So, um, and I remember my dad said, well, you'd need to, you'd need to get a, a tool to make a bottle. You need, you need a tool maker. Thinking, where'd you get a tool maker mm. from? And he went, oh, well, I know someone that used to be a tool maker. Because, you know, my dad, this old school, you know, dad's 82 now. Mm. Um, 
and uh, yeah, rang up my dad's old mate who remembers me going to work with my dad, who was you know the mechanic, as I said, going to help him out on a Saturday morning when I was 11, which I absolutely hated. Um, and I remember chatting to him and, and he remembered me. And again, you know, he liked me and he he um, was just about to close the doors of his tool making business. Everything had gone to India and China. He hadn't taken a salary in years and, and, and the business was finished. And I said, well, look, I've got this idea to make a, can you make me a bottle that looks like a hand grenade? He said, well, we'd have to go and get it designed. So you need someone who can design a tool to make a tool, to make a bottle. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of steps involved in this. You know, I haven't really got any money. So these people kind of all helped because in that particular case, he's kind of got, by his own admission, he got nothing else to do. So all this, you know, took months and years and was scraped together and hadn't got a clue what I was doing. And I mm. think, you know, the, the reality is most entrepreneurs don't have don't, a clue what they're doing. They, don't. They, they learn as they go along. Naivety you, is a gift in business. It, do you know what it, it, yeah, it, it is? And isn't it amazing now the innocence of kind of not realising how momentous the journey is in front mm. of you? Because I think if someone had shown us years ago, mm. it's gonna, this is how hard it's going to be, hand on heart, I'd like to think I'd have done it, but I don't know if I would have done, mm. to be fair. Unbelievably hard. But yeah, to answer your question about the, um, have you ever had any incidents with grenade bottles? Oh, all the time. I mean, again, we, uh, we, so we, we started off again, back to my, um, you know, my, uh, my love and interest with the military. Our first customers were all military personnel. Nobody was making product for the military. They were making product for football players and rugby players and other athletes and stuff, but no one was doing anything specifically for the military. So we did. And you know, started off kind of in like UKSF and it, and it, and it moved away um, from there. But, you know, and that's where all my friends in the military have basically come from. But these guys then being deployed, you know, 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. 2012, um, so many of these guys have got like grenade bottles in their baggage. They start putting up signs at airports and these are like military airports like Bryce and Norton yeah. and whatever. And there's a sign there. A friend of mine took me a picture, uh, took a picture and it just said, he said, you, you'll like this. And uh, it just said, if anyone's got grenade product in the bag, can they make sure it's not in the hand luggage, it's in the hold luggage and whatever, because, you know, they get scanned through and they look like grenades and everyone panics and, and stuff. And um, and again, going through Channel Islands airports, there's like, there's all the stuff, you know, lined up on the customs desk that you're not supposed to have and screwdrivers and knives and mm. all this stuff. And there's a grenade bottle there and, and we see that. And then... Um, yeah, we, we shut down a five-star hotel in Nairobi because somebody left one on the desk, uh, on, a, on the hotel bed, and the maid found it and thought it was an IED. We shut down a major road in India. Um, I shut down the New York metro system. Somebody left a, a grenade bottle in a GNC, uh, in, in the flower bed outside a GNC store. You're joking, mate. So the metro system got shut down. And, and weirdly, all this stuff, because <laughs> I laugh now, it wasn't funny at the time. Great marketing, but, though. Well, you'd of think, course. but weirdly, yeah. I, I always thought, I think if that had happened now, mm. um, it, I don't know if it would be a good thing or a bad thing, but I mean, it would be out there. Yeah. Again, kind of pre-social media, mm. um, you know, Facebook was around, Instagram wasn't. Um, it never really went anywhere. It mm. always come back to us. Like we'd always have the press and contact us. Mm. But I say, like, is this you? And we're like, yeah, you know, it's us. And I think again, we we're back to that. People have always been um, had this sort of fondness, I think, of grenade. And people, you know, like entrepreneurs. And you can get away with a lot if you're, I think, disruptive, but yet not disrespectful. Yeah. And a happy disruptor, we call it. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, just just a disruptor. And I think, you know, the 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 feedback, and as I said right at the start, you know, brands are extensions of their founders. Mm. So good or bad, 
every aspect of my personality mm. is in that brand mm. somewhere. You know, the attention to detail, mm. the, the the perfection elements, the, you know, serious stuff, but not taking itself mm. too seriously, wanting to be the best, competitive, but wanting to help people, wanting to make a product that people really genuinely get benefit mm. from. Because um, ultimately, you know, people say to me all the time, why should I buy your supplements? Mm. And I'll say, well, you shouldn't. You should be in a really balanced diet, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of an eating probably yeah, yeah, yeah. three, four, five, six clean meals a day. Mm. Do you do that? No. Well, you should be taking supplements then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you can't have it both ways. Um, so all the aspects find their way into that brand. Um, how and- did that journey go then from your original products? How many products did you do on that journey before you hit jackpot? Oh, so I tell you what. Now I, I'm not sure if we've hit the jackpot yet because weirdly well, I don't. I don't. Sam, I know. Oh, I, it I, sounds you know, like to me you've hit the know, jackpot, mate. Do, do you know what? <laughs> Last I, time I, you come down, you flew your own private jet down. I did down fly to a plane. Down. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah. We should probably get onto that. I was in. I was in a plane crash. So after being in a plane yeah. crash, I thought it'd be a good idea to learn how to fly one. <laughs> so remind me of that. And we'll get onto the plane uh-huh. crash story because again, that's kind of late nineties no, 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 as well, down, mate. Let's go straight into that plane crash. Okay. Over there now. What was the previous question? I don't as well? know, but I'm enjoying this. No, let's go. I'll tell you what. Let's come. This, this is the problem with entrepreneurs, here, isn't it? Because well, I'm, like, I'm like chasing a hundred rabbits. I'm like, I'm like a highly so, caffeinated so I squirrel. I want to know how many products... You said you haven't broke the back of it, you haven't smashed or hit the jackpot. You've hit the jackpot. You've done extremely well for yourself. You're just being humble, which is very nice to hear. Tell me how many products you had before the one hero product that changed everything for you. And what was that hero product? Well, I guess probably one. <laughs> so... When going back to the sports nutrition days of distributing and selling other people's products, I realized back then you don't need loads of stuff. You just need one Mm. product that sells and sells and sells Mm. and sells. And I always thought Red Bull. Now, I've never drunk Red Bull. Don't like it. Love the brand. So, you know, how many products have they got? Mm. (laughs) How many do you need? Coca-Cola, Pepsi. Mm. So, you know, all these brands just do extremely well off one well-known product. So, you know, why have dozens or hundreds because again selfishly from a warehousing perspective it's a pain in the ass to store all this yeah. stuff so you can just have one thing brilliant so um we decided that grenade would be the red bull of sports nutrition and it was all going to be weight loss and we could protect it and it could go in that grenade bottle and it a- appealed to the most people and you know rather than being 12 capsules a day it was four and it was better value for money and it worked and ultimately look there's no such thing as a magic pill mm. um but we know we knew Every aspect of dieting that people struggle with, you know, that product helped with, helped with appetite suppression, helped with energy, um, you know, helped you drink more water. So um, we thought, you know, one product um, and launched in 2010. Again, no money, didn't really know how to launch it. Pretty clueless at this point, got product. I've got a couple of distributors selling it for me. It's not really selling. The Body Power Show is coming up um, at the NEC in the May. It's the February at this point. We've literally, we're, we're out of cash. Uh, we're down to 27 quid. We think we've lost the house. Um, and it comes down to this show. And I remember thinking, how can we steal this show? And having been to many fitness shows over the years, I'm sure you have as well. Mm. Obviously, you run events. You know, you've seen it all. Formula One cars in there. Everyone's got, you know, amazing looking fitness models, mm. male and female models everywhere throwing out, giving out T-shirts, you know, muscle tech in the US, a turn up at a show and they'd give away 50,000 T-shirts. How do you compete with that? Mm. So I thought, well, okay, rather than give away stuff, we'll sell it. So we won't give away T-shirts, we'll sell T-shirts. So we're the only people for a start at the show selling T-shirts because all the others are free. Mm. But something free inherently has no value. Mm. So we think actually if anyone wants that, they're going to buy it, you know, and we're buying, we're paying these 
buying these t-shirts for six quid and thought, right, we'll sell them for a tenner. But ultimately we thought, what can we take into this show that everyone's going to remember they haven't seen before? And I like, like Tank. Mm. I like tanks. I like military stuff. The right. big orange tank. Yeah, it wasn't orange then. It was, was green. It, not, was it? it was a green. So <laughs> we, we ring up uh, our mate Nick from tanks a lot. Because mm. then you see there's probably about four or five people in the world that own tanks. And because I like military stuff, mm. I know all of them. Mm. So we ring up Nick from tanks. I like, hi, Nick. Um, any chance we can borrow a tank? Uh, yeah, what for? I'll take it in NEC. Can we do that? Yeah, won't be a problem. How many do you want? Just the one. So um, he lets us have the tank. Good as gold. Probably best thing he ever did uh, for us because we've been uh, close friends with him ever since. Uh, we get it t- uh, bought the, to and from the NEC, I think, for like 500 quid, like with a four-way journey. How we blagged it for 500 quid, I don't know. Um, got sp- uh, the the space in the space in the stand in, in the NEC. We got for nothing because we're like, so we, we're going to bring a tank in. That's going to be our boost. We don't need anything else. And yeah, we know we drive in a 17-ton Abbott self-propelled gun into the <laughs> NEC. This thing is billowing like smoke, mm. like you wouldn't believe. Sets all the fire alarms off, all the smoke detectors go off. Mm. Everyone comes running over. It gets right to the head of the NEC at the time, a guy called Paul Tandy, who again, sort of, he's, he's pissed off, but then he meets us and sort of sees the funny side. Yeah. So I think this has been the thing with with, with Grenade. We've, we've got away with a lot. Mm. Um and, and that became our thing, was taking tanks into shows. And we, we just stole the show. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone's like, you know, you know, forget that racing car over there. Or forget those, like, mm. you know, those kind of those, those um, fitness models or whatever. <laughs> These guys mm. have taken a freaking mm. tank in. Have you seen this? And there's some American um, businesses and, and American um, distributors at this show. And um, they're like, they've never, you know, in 20 years in the industry, they've never seen anyone do this before. Because it's so ridiculously bonkers and unconventional. And out there, but you know it's perfect for us because so we're, we're grenade. What was your brand, what was your brand then? Grenade, uh, brand grenade. When we went into the show, but what were you actually selling? What products did you actually just have at that the time? thermodetonator? Just, just that. that fat burner. So we've got one product. So what year did you move on to the protein chocolate bars? Oh, so twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. So what's the what's a a quick overview of 2010 to 2015 so the quick overview is basically we only ever want one product you know 2010 to 2012 we make it the best-selling weight loss product in in the country with one product and we've got a decent lifestyle brand but it's nowhere near as big as we want it to be and we do a pre-workout and we do some of the specialized sports nutrition products but the market is changing and evolving and i realized then in 2013 that everywhere that we can be as grenade with fat burners we're already there. We're number one on Amazon. We're in Tesco Nutricenter. We're in Tesco Main Estate. We're in all the Holland and Barrett's. We're in all the GNCs. We've got nowhere else to go mm. because it's specialized and these are products that are 50 quid. And I think back to the Red Bull, oh, you know, why is Red Bull everywhere? Because it's two quid yeah. and it's in your bloody local petrol station. But how do you go from your 50 quid fat burner to something that's two quid sat on the shelf? And we're like, Protein bars. Yeah. So I used to sell protein bars as a distributor. Again, all yeah. these, you know, the sale of return. I know what yeah. sells, I know what doesn't. These are all the, you know, the dog chews, you know, your dual workout eating mm. one. So we think, okay, if we could put that grenade name, which everyone loves and people know now in the UK and, and, and like, but you know, if you don't want a fat burner or you haven't got 50 quid, you know, you're not buying us. You mm. might like us, mm. but which is great. That's my Red Bull analogy. You know, I like it. I don't buy it, but I, I like the brand. Um, so, we um we think we've got to condense everything we know into something that's gonna we can put everywhere, um and it you know and it's got to be affordable, and this is where the protein bar thing comes from. So we go to these you know suppliers that make these protein bars again, who I know, and say right, we want to do a protein bar, 
but it can't taste like all of the protein bars. It's got to taste like a chocolate bar. I mean, it can't be done. Well, like, try. Right, who's tried? No one's tried because it can't be done. Mm. Right, off we go. Two years and 42 failed protein bars later, so it's now April 2015, we we launch our, our first protein bar. And as of like, and I, I remember I sat all the guys down at work, all of us, probably 10 of us at Grenade, I said, right, from now on, we're not a sports nutrition brand, we're a food brand, we're a small food brand. Okay, so that's and we're gonna, you flipped we're, it, was We're going to break out of sports Brilliant. nutrition and we're going to go mass market, we're going to get this. Why? Anyway. Why? Why did you, what went through your head to go, this is what we need to do? Who's, who's scale, your partner? Really. Did you have a business partner? Uh, so at the time now, yeah, so my ex-wife, so Jules, my business partner. Um, so I say ex-wife, we got divorced uh, five years ago now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Jules and I, you know, founded the brand back in 2010. Um, she exited the business back in uh, late 2018. Yeah. But yeah, you know, husband and wife team, no kids, just, you know, relentless marketeers. Um, and and I think it was the fact I knew Grenade could be and should be more. And it was it was our way of becoming mass market and breaking out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I said, you know, we had 42 failed variants of protein bars, but we didn't. We learned 42 ways not yeah. to make the protein yeah. bar that we wanted. Um and we got, and to be fair, the suppliers were getting a bit pissed off with us at this point. And, and we had a um, private equity investment back in early 2013. I told them a protein bar idea. They hated it. They told me not to do it. Maybe a meal did it anyway. We, we, How much I, did they chuck in? Um, they valued the business um, back in 2013 at 35 million. They valued so, it at 2013? Yeah. Right? Did they? Tell a lie, it was February 2014 because yeah. we were four years in at that point. And what sort of turnover were you doing in those four years? We'd have been doing, by 2014, Roughly. probably 8 million turnover, oh, maybe okay. sort of 3 million EBITDA, just of one product. 3 um, million EBITDA? Oh, yeah. And they come in at yeah. 35 or 30 yeah. Okay. Um, so, and again, you know, backing the vision of just, because I think, you know, the mistake that we made, the big mistake, uh, we worked too hard at it. We were, after four years, we'd never taken a day off. We'd never taken a salary. On paper, we'd made all this money, but we'd never thought about it because it was never about making money. Mm. It was about doing what we set out to do, being the Red Bull of sports nutrition, making you know a brand with a purpose, making a product that people would get benefit from. And as I said, just the hobby that turned into an obsession. Mm. And um, Growth Point came in into early 2014, you know, valued the business. We took cash off the table and it was basically to hit the reset button and go again. And we thought at the time, because what we wanted to do had never been done before. Mm. These guys would really be able to help us. And the reality was they were super nice people and great mm. partners, but they were no help whatsoever. Right, okay. um, we never really needed the money at that point. If um, they weren't help, so if they weren't very good at helping, why did you take them on? Was it for the money to take money for the table was to ease the pressure? I think it was to, to de-risk at that okay. point. Remember, this stuff is all inherently super risky yeah. and the amount of you know businesses do well and i said you know i don't consider grenade successful because i don't think we've probably developed the 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 idea or the the product yet that's mm. going to make us you know truly global um and i think you know, uh, you know all my friends are you know a lot of my friends are in mm. military and stuff and sf and humility is part of the, yeah. the the core so i i never ever want to be one of those people who thinks they've made it and, mm. and got there because to be perfectly honest i don't know where there is well the, the, my mum always said never stop at the finishing line well that yeah that's it going. yeah otherwise that's it. someone will come the, and take them and, take it off you and this is the danger yeah. look we could do a whole of a podcast yeah, on, on the trappings of you know what success looks like yeah. and you know it's great, great climbing podcast. the mountain but that, you've got to come back down again mm. that can be a part three that'd be a great part podcast to do 
I was um, too bouncing off that. Oh, what yeah. percentage did they take of the business in 2014? Uh, just over half. They took over half. Yeah, just just over half. And how much did you and, take off the table? Um, oh, around about 18 million, something like that at the time. <laughs> um, so, Happy days. Yeah. And do you know what? So, you know what? I've dodged, it's only 18 mil, mate, but you know, it was okay. So, um, and, and do you know, we celebrated because this, this, this made the papers, this did. Um, we had a curry and a cream egg. <laughs> In a proper so, brummy way. Well, weirdly, the um, I mean, again, you know, we sound about the eventful lives element of yeah. this, I guess. Um, we 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 banked with HSBC, and you know, we sold shares in Grenade, mm. and when the transaction went through, it didn't go through because they thought we were arms dealers. So we're the only people who sold shares in the business, and then didn't get the money for it. So no. the paperwork went through, and the bank rang us and said, so, you know, well, the our solicitor rang us at the time, DLA, um, John Watkins, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news of the deal's done. The bad news is you've not been paid for it. <laughs> so we're like, fucking fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, the bank held the money. It got released two or three days later, yeah. but they wanted to clarify we weren't arms dealers. Just dealer. because of the name Grenade. The name Grenade. Wow. They said, just to clarify, guys, if I was an arms dealer, I'd probably disguise it as something name, else. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably say it was cotton wool or something. Um, so we, we, yeah, so we did that. But it was to hit the reset button and go again. And yeah, we were so tired at that point. When you hit the reset button and go again, like you just mentioned there, you've gone through with your wife, Jules, what role was Jules playing in this business and what role were you playing? Because being in a business with husband and wife can be difficult at times. It was the best and the worst thing yeah. for sure. And, uh, you know, do regret it. Of course not. Would I do things differently? Absolutely. The problem again, I think was, you know, with not having children, I never wanted children um, because Grenade's always been, um, you know, my baby. But... We found our swim lanes quite quickly. You know, I was this, uh, you know, an unqualified gym instructor. I mean, I worked in gyms for 10 years, never got a single qualification, mm. you know, working for under minimum wage, like two quid an so hour. So you were the front man. You're going out there being I the front was kind man, of straight face, marketing. Yeah, so I knew, what was Jules? So she, she, I was, um, I knew sports nutrition. I knew the industry. Yep. She was, um, she used to be a geography teacher, actually. So I knew um, gyms and fitness and military. Military is my passion. She was never really particularly interested in the, the military, but she went along with it because she knew, you know, I liked it. But she was pretty much, I mean, I did product and sales and the development and the face yeah. and, and you went and did the shows and did the selling and, um, you know, did any interviews and stuff like that. She was really then kind of marketing and brand and anything else, you know, office, emailing, admin. I mean, yeah. there's just, you know, there's, so there's much 50 jobs yeah, and you've course. got to spin every yeah. plate. We, we were, luckily, everything I was terrible at um, you know, the list is long. Um, she was really good at and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. So we never really wanted, I mean, you know, we both did marketing. That's the perfect but partnership. Yeah, it was. It, it's you the know, perfect partnership. It was great. Yeah. The only downside of it being, you know, that's all we did, yeah. you know, for year after year. So you'd get year. up in the morning, talk about it, go to bed, talk yeah. about it. That Relentless. must get in the way. Middle of the night. It just, must get in the way of having a relationship. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, our, our relationship was just was a business, business. And, you know, and that was it. And then to be fair, then really, you know, unfortunately, when... Um, you know, as the brand became, you know, successful, the, the marriage became least successful. Yeah. You know, we just ended up really as, as, as business partners yeah. and not as husband and wife. How long and, have you been together for by, by the age of, uh, by 2014? Oh, 14, 15 years. Really? Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, we're still tremendous friends. Yeah. We've still got three of the businesses together, yeah. speak to her every week. Um, you know, uh, just, you know, wish her all the very best with mm. everything. I'm still, still great friends. Um, fantastic thing to go through. And I think, you know, 
you know, would we have split up with or without Grenade? Probably. Mm. If anything, it, you know, it drove us apart, but it probably also kept us together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't regret that. But like I said, if any people ask me all the time, oh, husband and wife, what do you think? You probably do have to have kind of these these boundaries and not talking about things at certain times. And I guess if you've got kids, you know, you, you've got other priorities. But I guess... Uh, you know, again, probably for the third time on this podcast, it's the the hobby that you know became yeah. an obsession. I don't know any other way of doing it. Yeah. If I'm going to do something, you know, All in. I, I, I'm in. Yeah. She's the same. You know, we're in. We're at it. No one thought we could do it. Everyone thought we we're bonkers. And it's just like you know, that's someone else to prove. How wrong. old were you and Jules in 2014, roughly? Um, so Ten I'm, years ago. yeah, so yeah, I'm for, yeah, I'd, uh, mid thirties, I'd have been 36, And was there ever a point, because at that age 36, I was a late one having kids and stuff, so was my wife. Was there ever a point you're like, do we want kids or don't we want kids? I think we had one very brief discussion, but we genuinely thought we hadn't got time. Um, and you know, and, and, and again, it's weird actually, because, um, you'll probably know James Benamore, he's a mm. great friend of mine that's, mm. you know, I think got eight kids. Yeah. <laughs> How he's done that and built a monstrous business. <laughs> Fair play. He's a billionaire. Yeah, I know. Incredible. Billionaire from and, Bournemouth. And one of the nicest, yeah. he's probably the only billionaire from Bournemouth, yeah. uh, the nice, one of the nicest people I know. Yeah. You know, and, and actually, I, I got massive l- respect for him. For oh, he's awesome, built. James. Yeah. We don't want to say too many nice things because he'll yeah. get his head. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, he, to be fair, yeah. w- with, the, with the 200 million. Uh, Mondelez acquisition back in 2021, he sent me the best message okay. afterwards. And I had t- my two favourite messages were of him and of Richard Branson. Mm. Richard said, well done, the one that got away, because Richard looked at buying Grenade in 2016. Did and, he? Yeah. And um, he can't do FMCG, doesn't like no, it ever okay. since Virgin Cola. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, James Benamore sent me a really thoughtful Go message. On. What do you say? To be honest, it's only something, again, you'd understand this, because mm. it's only something another founder would understand. Mm. But... Um, Everyone wants you to be on cloud nine, and I wasn't mm. because it was like I just sold a limb, yeah. to be honest. You know, you do feel like I said, grenades the baby, so it did feel like I'd sold my child. So, on one hand, you're over the moon, and he, and he said, Look, you know, you've achieved something most people could never do, you've mm. created something from nothing, you know, this extreme, um, you know, valuable business. But he said, If you don't feel okay, that's okay, yeah. And, and he only said that because he knew because it happened yeah. to him. He actually said, I think, you know, he, he was quite down after mm. sort of. Exiting his business. So was that so, the first so, roller coaster? So 2014, when you got the investment, you took 18 mil off the table to grow the business. Yeah. Where, when was the next? When was the next to de-risk? When was the next time you got investment? The next. The next time was uh, March 2017, and that was to Lion Capital, and that was 72 million. Um, so and did again, Lion Capital buy into your business as well as the first private equity? No, they bought the first ones out. The next ones did came they? in because again, then what we realised was with Grove Point. Fantastic people, still keep in touch with them. Super bright. Brad actually went on to be on the board of the Bank of England. You know, very, very clever people. But as you know, intelligence is not indicative. It's not mm. a requirement for building an amazing yeah. brand. Yeah. Um, I, I think actually it's probably a detriment. You're better off just not knowing and just working it out. Because I think if you're too clever, you'll overthink it and yeah. do nothing. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the uh, but Lion Capital, they knew consumer brands. Yeah. They owned Weetabix, Kettle Chips, Jimmy Choo. They? they understood brands. Were you looking at that time going, you know what, the next person who comes on board, the first priority didn't really, they chucked money on the table, they didn't really know what they were doing, doing. yeah but we, respect to them because they did back you they did back us and also yeah. respect to them as well because they also doubled their money oh yeah and the if rest li- and yeah. the rest of the liner yeah. come in and taking the, the sh- and i think so what happened with that as well this is all part of an interesting learning curve so now you know with the the backers of grove point again with some of the richest people in the country um i won't say the names because you will never have heard of them anyway mm. but we were sort of under the impression these people would help and they didn't. We never met them. We never heard anything from them. We never got a Christmas card. We never got a thank you for quadrupling their money. 
So that was what the first prime equity. Yeah. So okay. well, they're backers. They're backers. Okay. So the you know Grove Point were very, uh, very pleased. Yeah. Um, but I think we were really the only investment they ever made. They mm. disbanded after that and never made another one. Mm. They're probably so, all sitting on a beach. That's I know they're I, all sitting. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all fucking retired. <laughs> Peter um, Collada's every day. Thank that, you very much, Grenade. And I think that's the difference. You see, <laughs> yeah. Grenade was an investment to them, and I don't mean this disrespectfully because you know they came in, they made an investment, they took a chance on, you know, Alan Jules and four cats, um, and did extremely well and tapped out. Mm. And you know, we've all stayed friends, and thanks very much. It was never about that for us. You know, yeah. I said, you know, we're. Uh, I read a Jeff Bezos quote this week, actually. And it's, it's always going to stick with me because he said about the types of business and, brand, and brands that he invests in. And there's missionaries and mercenaries. Mm. And straight away, I think, I'm a mercenary. Mm. I'm not. I'm a missionary. Mm. I'm a builder. I want to go and build something. I, you know, I care about consumers. I don't really give a monkeys about the money. It's not about being rich. It's about making a difference mm. and, and creating something from scratch. But wealth comes after that. It does. And, and that's it, the key. It wasn't, in the, yeah. it wasn't in the top five things yeah. that even entered our head. Yeah. Price isn't in the top five things when we develop a bar. Mm. I don't, you know, it's just we make the best thing that we can. We make the best products we can all the time. The, the mercenary approach is there's value here. I want to make money. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. But they don't, those businesses don't last. Yeah. Because if if you're looking at making a product, you can make a product the best it can be, or mm. you can make it to a cost. Mm. The two different things. Mm. I'll make it the best it can be. A mercenary will make it to a cost. Mm. I'd never do that. So at some point, you know, you're going to cut corners. Someone's going to make a better one. This stuff and it and you you've said I could give you a thousand brands mm. where this happens and it kind of it's almost every brand you could think of that has gone into private uh, has gone into. Um, kind of more public ownership yeah. tends to go this way. Yeah. The privately owned brands don't because they tend to keep those core values. Yeah. So, yeah, I learned then, you know, I'm not a mercenary, I'm a missionary. Um, but, you know, many investors are probably more mercenary in their approach. Yeah. You know, they're coming in, going out. Yeah. So, yeah, Lion came in and we so, knew we'd so kind Lion, of grow. So Lion there bought out the first growth point. Yeah. Growth point owned 50% of Grenade. What percent did Lion own? Um so Lion bought them out, a slightly few more shares, probably the peak that they owned, probably about 61%, something okay. like that. Um, because again, as we hit various Did you feel like you targets, were losing control at all when someone's obviously pumping a lot of money in that you're going, well, they've just got control now over the not, final sale? No? no, not really. Because to be fair, everyone we've ever worked with, with you know, Lion, Grove, Point, Mondelez, they've always been, they've always kind of backed me. They've let me yeah, be me. And I think at the moment, I mean, you know, Mondelez is one of the best partners we've ever yeah. had. You know, exceptionally bright, huge value add, lovely people, great custodians of brand. And we've still got tons of freedom mm. just kind of within their framework. So um, the I, I, I will, you know, look, Granada would be my baby, yeah. you know, with, with zero shares. But, you know, I've still got skin in the game. I've always had skin in the yeah. game. And me being me, like I said, I mean, they're all in or all out. Mm. If I've got 0.1% of those mm. shares, you know, I'm in. Mm. So if I'm going to do this, I'll do it to the best of my ability because yeah. that's just the way I am. Um, what year was Lion? 2018? Uh, uh, 2017, then to basically 2021. Okay. So um, when that happened on that deal, did you and Jules say, let's call it a day? Did Jules say, I'll take my money and walk now? It was kind of, I mean, I, I suppose that, yeah, th this is probably more her story to tell, I guess. But what happened, I think, to be fair to her, she was kind of falling out of love a bit yeah. with the business because, um, I, I mean, you know, she'd met the Terminator look lazy. Um, there's no... Uh, you know, there's no easy way to kind of say this, but 
um, you know, she was kind of, you're just the most, I mean, I've got a good work ethic. She's got a relentless work That's ethic. It. I mean, up at 5 a.m. Is it? Um, you know, in the office. So, so Seven. Same as yeah. Barrett. So she, kept, she kept it, is she? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah she okay, has. Yeah, yeah, she has. Um, so, yeah, relentless work ethic. But, you know, like, military's my thing. Mm. You know, the gym industry is my thing. I walked into a gym when I was 15 years old. So, this is something that's in my blood. Um, and I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, when I was 11 years old and my dad was making, was was repairing Cadbury and Mr. Kipling lorries, you know, I was nicking the cakes at the back and selling them at school, yeah. you know. So I've always been the person that kind of, uh, I think, you know, to be fair to Jules, you know, she she um, married more of an entrepreneur yeah. um, than, than was probably more of a, she became an entrepreneur. But every but good that, entrepreneur has to have a wife or a girlfriend. Oh, they they end up becoming great and, admins because they have to balance but the But you know what as well? It's yeah. more important because you cannot do it you, you can't do this stuff on your own. I defy 100%. anyone to do it on your own. You've got to have someone behind you that understands. Even one person is a start that understands. 100%. And, you know, we always both collectively always understood what we needed to do, what we were going to do and what the priorities were. So in that deal then with Lion, does she walk away from the business then? No, I mean, look. But you said she left at 2018. Basically, she resigned, but she kind of had no choice. There was, okay. a, there was really, a, a, you know, again, with all due respect to Lion Capital, you know, kind of mercenary in every sense of the word. They're kind of known as being quite cold with investors. I get extremely well with them. Um, they just kind of didn't like our marketing, to be perfectly honest. Right? Um, but we did. Yeah. Um, and did you fight with them over that? Um, I didn't per se, sort of Jules did, because she was head of marketing at the time. And the problem is, you know, I was kind of CEO. Um, and I suppose they'd say, like, you know, very indispensable. The problem with being head of marketing is it's the most subjective thing yeah. about a business. Yeah. And they said at one point to us, like, we've got a world-class brandy. We don't have world-class marketing. Their definition of world-class marketing was just spending millions of pounds a year on sponsored ads. Yeah. But we didn't really think that was – I still don't. So, you know, she sort of stuck to her guns, and we knew the way we were going. Um and, you know, they wanted us to make, you know, humongous um, brand changes that we weren't really comfortable with doing. Um, and then, you know, sort of she she dug her heels in um, quite a bit um, and she kind of got called down to London. And, uh, our, you know, we'd split up at that point. You okay. know, we were separated, um, but still working together and no one knew. Yep. And I said, do not tell them we've separated. Don't tell them. Um, and she did. And I just think it kind of left her a bit vulnerable. Yeah. And they took a massive chance on. So, you know, so she she resigned with this disagreement. The annoying thing was that all the changes they wanted her to make that she didn't do, within the 12 months, they decided against them all anyway, and they'd all left. Right, okay. So it was, the whole thing was kind of a bit pointless, to mm. be perfectly honest. This is the problem again. How did with, you feel as a CEO knowing that they're talking about your wife <laughs> like that and your wife is in, in charge of marketing? But you'd actually split up at that time. Did you kind of have to take sides? Yeah, it was one of the balance. hardest things I've ever say, done. Yeah. So and so actually, what happened was, I I took a week out of the business and I went and spent some time just with some some friends of mine and whatever in the military and just 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 went off somewhere, and I said to my core team at work, you know, sort of she's gone, and this was like for the first time ever, you know, I've lost my lost my co-pilot sort of thing, um. And, you know, the gut reaction is, oh, well, I'm walking as well. Um, Your gut reaction? Yeah. Okay. And they sort of took a chance that I probably wouldn't. Mm. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I spoke to my core team at work and I said, oh, I don't. this doesn't sit well with me. And it didn't sit well with a lot of the core team either, to be honest. But then you're employing lots of people. You've got a brand. You've got a job to do. Um, and I said, I'm not sure if I'm staying. But look, mm. I'm going to have a week off. Whatever I decide, 
when I come back, if I'm staying, we'll never talk about it again. And yeah. I'm in. Um, Who did I, you confide with here? Uh, so my uh, CFO at the time, okay. so um, Tom and, and Phil is they're now actually my respective um, managing directors, Phil yeah. UK MD and Tom International MD, and again yeah. unbelievable business partners and friends. Mm. Um, and I said, you know, for kind of, and they understood, and it was difficult. But you know, these guys have all got jobs and you know kids and yeah, mortgages, mortgages and cars, skin in yeah, the game yeah, yeah, and you know yeah. and again and you remember you know i'm still at this point you know i'm a 30 percent shareholder in this business who had the other nine percent then so you know jules and i would have had sort of roughly half each yeah. um that have been you know some of the staff um there was a sort of a small investment business called eqt you know it just kind of gets kind of divvied up yeah. really over the years and you know line had got the, the majority and this was kind of their prerogative um and, and you know and, and ultimately to be fair years later we kind of did get an, an apology and it was a mistake and I actually even got that in writing to be fair yeah. and I did sort of send it to Jules and I went look I know it doesn't mean much but did you know, she have to go. leave her shares on the table or could she still keep her shares and resign yeah no so she kept her shares in there and then it was kind of all of a sudden then you know this is probably potentially one of the only times you start to feel like you're really starting to almost lose control of your business yeah. but then again you know all of the a lot of the product ideas sit with me the formulations the relationships with investors, suppliers, retailers. Um, I mean, you know, last week we had a, an issue um, just really with a, um, a, a major um, retailer in the UK. And I know the owner really well, so I went to see him and it got resolved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it, you know, it's, a, it's a tricky, founders work with founders. Yeah. But what I decided was in my sort of, you know, my week sabbatical of what do I do here? And I've never ever talked about this, by the way. But what I decided was, um, What's the best decision here where everyone wins mm. and, and making the best out of a bad situation? Because, see, we'd already separated. If we hadn't have separated at that point, I would have walked because I would have had no choice yeah. but to kind of back. But the fact that we were already separated, you think, well, why sort of chuck the baby out with the bathwater yeah. here? And you think, because if I kind of walk, does that help the business or hurt the business? Mm. Right. It's going to hurt the brand. Yeah which hurts her even more because yeah. she's a shareholder. Mm. Plus it hurts me. Plus it hurts the investors, hurts the whole team. Mm. It's bad for our suppliers. It's mm. bad for the retailers. It's bad for all of our consumers. Mm. So why damage the brand? Mm. And I thought, look, so I decided to stay. Um, and I remember saying to her, look, I've decided to stay. And I, and, I, and I don't think she was probably particularly pleased with me. I don't think she spoke to me for a few weeks. But I understood why. Why? Uh, just because disrespect of, to her a little um, bit. I, may, yeah, maybe that. Maybe mm. disappointment, just in terms of um, we built you know, this together. Didn't, yeah, you, you, you didn't yeah. back me up. Which look, you know, may, maybe she yeah. wasn't wrong, but but ultimately, you know, the business is a seventy-two million pound business at this point. So now I've got, you know, I said earlier, I need fire under me. Yeah. So now I've got more fire under me yeah. because I'm going to make her proud. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to double down. Now I've got twice as much work to do. Yeah. So you know, I stay. And then, you know, we never discuss it again with the team, you know, but and then we, we you know, we, we sort of pick the pieces up and, and we move on. You know, this happens with brands yeah. and the best known brands you can think of. You get this stuff happen and it's horrible. Um, but ultimately, you have to do if you do what's right for your brand, who loses mm. really? Mm. So I decided to kind of back the brand and, you know, put the brand really before everyone, First, including me. Yeah. Um, so Lion had. 61%, you had 30% with Jules and there was 9% flo floating around. Yeah. When Jules left, did she keep that 15% or was that 30% in your name? Yeah, no, so she, she kept it. So we're still, kept... A, yeah, so still a shareholder. And then, of course, then I'm, I'm, I'm working even harder. Can, they, can so... she be bought out? No. No, only, okay. only Only on sort of the next 
event, yeah. which ended up being the 2021 Mondelez 200 million pound deal. Um, so, you know, <laughs> Mate, just she, hold that. She, she did just pretty hold well. That. You said that too quickly. A 200 million pound deal. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, were you still on your thirty percent then, or did that did that get brought down? The shares get brought down even more by that um, by twenty twenty one. I mean, there's always fees to pay, tax. We had some debt in the business, so you know it it, it gets it gets eroded. Yeah. So the two hundred million, um, you know, it, I'm I'm not knocking it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I I look at all these deals and you know, let's take James Benamore's deal, one yeah. and a half billion. I think you know, there's you know, he's not walking around with one and a half no, billion in his no, pocket. No, no, of course not. Um, so. It, it's uh, and again, you know, I rolled on this deal. I, I again, I, I didn't sell all my shares, you know. So again, I rolled certain shares. That was a prerequisite. So it got so diluted got again when they bought it. Your shares got diluted again. What did uh, it go down to from there? Oh, my shareholding. Um, oh, I, do you know, I couldn't even tell you roughly. Um, as a percentage, I mean, I, I rolled. I think probably five million pounds. I think on Which the last what, on the last in deal. What in, in percentage? Uh, well, yeah, so five five million out of two hundred. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, small, small chain, mm. well, small chain to percentage, but yeah. it's fine for the percentages to get smaller as the numbers as get As long bigger. as the numbers rise, yeah. And, and, and remember, yeah. you know, I, we always said we'd much rather have a small share of something monstrous yep. than a huge share of something small. Yeah. You know, do you want... Um, all the pressure you know, yeah, and headache with that, yeah. Do, yeah. do you want sort of, you know, all of a tiny cake mm. or do you want, you know, a, a modest slice of yeah. the world's largest cake? Mm. So... Um, you know, and I think as you start to get into business now where it's easier to talk in fractions of billions, yeah. um, it, it, you know, and again, I, I, you know, it, it was never about the money. Mm. Um, but it, it helps. Yeah. Look, I, you know, I've been wealthy and I've been poor and I know what I prefer, yeah. but I also know that I've got friends who are billionaires and I've got friends yeah. who work for the council and collect mm. bins. And I'm just, you know, I'm still that, yeah. that uh, nice. you know, the, the unqualified fitness instructor from mm. Birmingham. What was um, your experience from being an entrepreneur, creating a brand? Look, we've both created some wonderful brands over the years. I've never gone down the private equity route. How did you I'd know? suggest you don't. No, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. And I've been approached many times. I don't want to go down the no, route. No, I don't. What, Always pick what, the phone up to me. What was your feeling of committing private equity? Then you know you're in private equity and then you're getting sold again. Did it take away the culture of grenade itself from what, how you remember it does dilute certain things and look the, the the business and the brand that we have now is not the brand that we started but there's loads of reasons for that you know mm. we never would have thought about i mean you know we, ultimately in its simplest form you know when you said about um expand the brand succinctly you know i make chocolate bars yeah. <laughs> that's it yeah. i never would have thought about making chocolate bars years ago i was only ever eating chocolate bars mm. so um, yeah, what we have now isn't what we created, but that's fine because yeah. businesses and brands evolve. And yeah. if they don't evolve, um, you know, they, they don't continue to exist. I mean, again, I, I, you know, I'm a mentor for Virgin Startup mm -hmm. and I, I always end up chatting and quoting Richard a lot because he's been in business for over 50 years and yeah. talks a lot of sense because he's got the scars. Yeah. And, you know, he always says if he hadn't managed to... Um, uh, evolve from having, uh, you know, record stores... Yeah. Um, and de-risk from having that, you know, he'd still have record stores. Mm. But the most important thing is he wouldn't have record stores, would mm. he? You know, so um, you, you always have to um, keep evolving mm. and keep changing. And that, for me, as, a, as an entrepreneur who's probably never thinks they're successful and never satisfied yeah. and wants to go into the next thing, because that's just the way I am. A brand is perfect because a brand is never finished. Yeah. And, and, and the minute you do something and you've finished and you lose that sense of purpose, it's a really dangerous place mm. to be for probably people like us mm. because we need stuff to do. And, and, you know, everyone needs purpose with their day. What was the different types of pressure you were under? You're under pressure building up, building the brand. But then when you're owned by private equity,
Andy. They're putting you under pressure for numbers, figures, sales. Did That's it change the fun like. in it? Um, yeah, I mean, possibly not so much for me because I've never worried about figures and numbers because I've always had an amazing finance team and that's their job. So my job really is to protect the brand. And people actually now, they say, well, you know, what would Al do? And um, yeah, worryingly enough. So I'll always try and do what's right, you know, be disruptive, but not be disrespectful. Um, do something that makes sense, that ticks the boxes, you know, that 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 is, um, I hate the word fun, but it's kind of got that lighthearted mm. element with it. Um, the best example I could think of is running a business and running a brand. You're a pirate. Mm. And the minute you go with private equity, you join the Royal Navy. Yeah. And I prefer being a pirate. Yeah. 100%. You know, it's just, it's just that simple. Yeah. But Good way of putting it there. Yeah. Well, actually yeah. as well, you know, could, could we have built... A brand, you know, without going through the PE route, the same, probably could have been bigger, could have been smaller. The thing is as well, look, you know, I've got friends who've done this and, and run brands in the US and I've had valuations in the billions. And, you know, you've got these decisions to make. Mm -hmm. And every time we've had a decision to have investment and take some cash off the table, what do you do? Because, you know, it's a bit like the... <laughs> You know, um, it's like deal or no deal, isn't it? Yeah. You know, really like, well, you know, you could have it's two million now, mm. but you might have, mm. you know, the ten, four million or ten years, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you might get nothing. Yeah. So every time I've had that decision and the latest decision back in 2021 was with Mondelez for the 200 million was Cadbury or Ferrero. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's yeah. the choice because we could could have gone with either because Ferrero yeah. approached us first. Giovanni yeah. Ferrero rang me twice looking to buy did the brand. He? Oh yeah, to partner. Richest what offer, what richest offer did he put Europe. on the table? So initially 170 million. And did you tell Mondelez that there's one No, they there. found out. It was entirely secret. <laughs> so yeah, they found out. So someone at Ferrero yeah. has got a big mouth. Yeah. Um, but no, no, you know, or you could have had a little cheeky whisper to someone, could give have them been, a heads up. It definitely it's wasn't ton, me. It's, it's I, a ton 70. If you give me 200, it's yours. So it, it, it definitely wasn't me, but you know, we, we got on the radar of every chocolate yeah, brand, I bet you know, did. Fatso, Mars. I mean, but that's the exciting bit, right? Oh, this was the thing. So yeah. Kellogg's were talking about us yeah. in their board meetings. Um, and, and, you know, and we, we heard about that and, you know, I think, actually, I think it was General Mills that called us ankle biters. Um, which just, I, I didn't, I think I'd probably take as a compliment yeah. now, but probably didn't at the time. I think I thought at the time, I was like, cheeky bastards. Well, just being nuisances, like yeah, just, mosquitoes. Just, just it been was irritating. in the way. Well, that's what you want. Yeah, that's what you need. we were in their business. Yeah. We were in their, you know, we were going into their stores and mm. we were, people, you know, weren't picking up their bars because they're picking up our bars yeah. and we were annoying and we were small and scrappy and, yeah, and, and whatever. But, you know, something very British about all this, isn't mm. there? Um, but the... Um, you know, and I remember when we first started to get the data back in sort of 2018, you know, so we launched these bars in 2015 and they take off like a rocket and we are sold out for like two and a half years. Where are you making these bars? At? Oh, in Europe. So you can't make them in the UK. We make some, we Where have made them in the UK. Um, Netherlands mostly. Is that right? And um, how did you know what is? ingredients to put in there to give them that sweet taste? Are you oh, this is years of trial and error. Were you putting sweeteners in there? So we do use sweeteners, so yes, we do use sweeteners. And how do you explain the difference between a sweetener and sugar? Because it's a very grey area at the moment. Sugar's seen as the bad, which it is. Sweeteners are being talked about and no one really knows what sweeteners yeah, doing do you, to us. So you, you, I think no one would argue that sugar's bad for you. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, without demonising sugar, you know, Caffeine's not great for you either, is it? You know, there's lots yeah, and lots of things brutal. we consume. Sugar's the enemy for Sh everything. Sugar right? is the enemy. Yeah. And that actually, I used to say sugar yeah. is the enemy. And sugar 
is responsible for dozens of illnesses yep. that we know of. Yep. And look, we all eat too much sugar and we all need to cut our sugar down. And, you know, everything in moderation and we all like chocolate. Yeah, but it's hidden. Sugar's hidden in everything. Yeah. That's and a I, scary thing. You get back at, look at back of packets. You, you think, oh, that's pure added sugar in ham. So, in whatever it is, sugar, 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 sugar. Well, well straight away, to, to go to your sweetener point... You know, there are certain sweeteners, like, you know, aspartame. We've never used aspartame. You know, so certain sweeteners are considered worse than others. Um, So we've always tried to use the the better sweeteners that we can. I still think to date there's so little evidence that that the sweeteners are, are, are bad for you. I'm not saying they aren't. They probably are. You know, but... Are they worse for you than sugar? No, I don't think they can be. How do and, we know that? Well, that's the thing. But ultimately, as well, we all know this stuff with hindsight, don't mm. we? But the most important thing is remember. Remember my comment about the fact, I'm not bothered if people don't buy my supplements. Yeah. Go and eat a brilliant diet. Yeah. What I am bothered about is people living on crap yeah. and and you know and, and having chocolate and cakes and sweets and crisps mm. and processed food and packaged food every day. And it's one reason why we're also bloody unhealthy yeah. um so would i be over the moon if people all lived on you know fish and chicken and salad and whatever mm. brilliant you know i'll go and do something else mm. the reality is they don't people like all this quick fix convenient like snacking crap which again as treats and stuff every week or you know it's fine but all of a sudden this has just become the norm over the last 40 50 years so my mission was never really to get people to kind of buy our bars, it was stopping them putting something else yeah. in the mouth that was worse mm, for them. Mm. So we've never gone out and said, look, our stuff's really healthy. It's healthier than what people probably yeah. are Good doing. Way of it. So that's yeah. why we said we disrupted the confectionery industry yeah. right at the start because the confectionery industry hadn't been disrupted since probably yeah. the 1980s. Yeah. I mean, like the new kid on the block was Whisper, which I think was 1985. Mm. So it was like, you know, we come along when all of a sudden, and this is my point about when we start getting the data in 2018, um, we start, you know, we're number one in protein bars. Who cares? You know, mm. protein bars aren't that big, so it's easy, you know, mm. you, you know, big fish, small pond. Yeah. But we start creeping up the rankings, and this is what the the, the, the big food giants saw was us creeping up the rankings. So we get into the top 20 best-selling chocolate bars as a protein bar. Mm. So, you know, we shouldn't be there because yeah. we're not a chocolate bar and we're three or four times the price of everything else. Mm. So, um, you know, we start creeping up. And I remember once, we, it, was, it was August in 2018 because my um, one of my team told me that we'd, uh, we'd, we'd made the top five. We were the fourth best-selling chocolate bar in the country who so was I, above you at the time uh well at the time i think from memory i think we had ferrero at number one i think number two was i think was uh was snickers um then it was like um dairy milk us and mars or something okay. like that so tell a lie dairy milk was fifth and i just like hold that the- thought a minute because this is happening all whatever so quickly hold that thought you look at a chart and you see you're the fourth best-selling bar oh, in, I'm the, over the in the world. Yeah. When you see all these brands that everyone's been eating for the last 40, 50 years, and you're yeah. whacked in at number four. Yeah, this is UK data, and it's UK data. Unbelievable. And it's UK data in supermarkets, so yeah. it's what we call our sort of measurable yeah. data, where we can actually buy the information. There's tons of other data out there. Like, we know we're number one on Amazon. So 
but we can't necessarily measure that because yeah. we don't know what everyone else is doing potentially. Plus, we've, we've got this sports channel that no one else has because we've mm. still got our spit and sawdust mm. gyms. Mm. So we've and we've got the Holland and Barretts, which isn't measurable as well, and lots of the high streets. So, um, but you know, we get this kind of IRI data. Uh, and What's I that? IRI? What's that? Uh, it's like it's like just, it's just industry recognized okay. data, basically. <clears throat> that's kind of like it's it's sort of irrefutable. So all the big retailers, they'll kind of they'll they'll report their data like into a, like a, an independent third party, mm. and you can basically buy the data and see what everyone's mm. doing. Um, and I find out I'm fourth, and of course I'm straight on LinkedIn. Woo, with fourth, <laughs> with the, as you do, you know, yeah, you know, look like a right bell end. Um, we're the fourth best-selling, yeah. you know, chocolate bar in, in the country. Yeah. And you know, consumers are loving it. Everyone's loving it, apart from the people who are kind of yeah. on that chart. So they complain to IRI, who complain to Grenade, who ring me because I was at home. I was ill. I had suspected mumps. <laughs> That's how I remember it so well. They complain about what? They complain about the fact that they don't think it's correct and we shouldn't be there. Is that right? And 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 a a large um, industry food giant um, complained uh, on who they who weren't in that chart complained about the fact on behalf of someone else who was in the chart. So they're kind of all backing each other up here because we're the ankle biters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, I get a phone call from my team going, "Oh, really? So oh, I've complained. Can you can you remove your post?" I'm like, "What from LinkedIn? Yeah, you're joking no. me." So I'm like. <laughs> Why? And they're like, well, because they don't like it. I can and do like, one. You yeah, kept it up there, did you? Of course I did. Good. Um, so um, I said, well, is it is it factually incorrect? No, it's correct. Well, fuck it, it's staying there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and again, look, you know, I never, and I, and I said about, you know, not being disrespectful, and that sounds disrespectful. I don't mean to be like that, no, but I'm no, not going to yeah, be no. bullied into, yeah. into saying something that's completely yeah. true. Mm. So, or rather not saying something that's completely true. So, uh, yeah, leave the post there. And I think, and of course, you know, back then, again, it, it's always been hard. But, you know, 2018, we're fourth. I'm thinking, fuck it, we'll, we'll get this to number one. Yeah, we'll one. have that. We'll get this yes, to number mate. one. Um, and, yeah, pretty much, I think, two years later, two, three, maybe three years later. Um, and certainly with Oreo, yeah, number one selling uh, <laughs> chocolate mate, bar in the UK. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. That is wicked. Um, yeah, in that, you know, in those measurable. So, uh, and, and again, you know, it's still rolling. Love but it. But I think now, and look, you know, I, I mean... Brand owners, and I, you know, I take this really personally. Mm. You know, if you work for Cadbury's or Mars or Kellogg's or Ferrero, unless you are Giovanni Ferrero, mm. you know, these are kind of jobs to most people. They don't really take this kind of personally. So, you know, when when we found out we were the number one selling weight loss product in 2012, it was Maximus that told yeah. us we didn't know, we didn't have a clue. Yeah. We're just out there, just kind of you know, doing it, killing it, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and doing what we can with our marketing budget of 500 quid. Mm. And Maximus have got like 12 million mm. at the time to spend. Um, and yeah, one of their team rang us up and went, you're the number one selling weightless products in the UK. Congratulations. I went, really? I'm like, I haven't got a clue. You know, and again, but you, and it, look, it's great. And you tick a box, but then you think, well, what's, what's next? next? Oh, yeah, what's next? I hear you. Uh, I, I want to just go, I just want to go on that bar. You're making these bars You've out You've got to go to the plane crash as well at the moment. Yeah, we'll do that. Again. I've got that stored. The bar. How much would a bar cost you? When you originally done it going, you know what? I want to make a high protein, low sugared bar. When you're getting the cost for this, they're saying, well, actually, actually to, for you to make one bar, it's costing you £1.40. It's costing you a pound. Mm. Can you remember what sort of price it was back then? Um, off the, I can. I'm not going to say because they've changed a lot since then no, in no, terms but, of but, price. But I'm talking back then. For you just to roughly make that bar, it must come out X for you to have the, the foresight and the balls to go, you know what? We're going for this. I don't care if it's three times more than a chockey bar. I'm going for it because this is the way forward. Yeah, I mean, our, you know, our sort of cost price on those bars would have been at the time, still our cost price would be oh, three, four, uh, so no, probably three times what you could buy a confectionery 
bar for. So what's that, a quid? So, yeah, basically, yeah. you know, give or take, um, you know, in terms of the, um, the, the the numbers. And that's why really the price was never really a factor because we knew we were going to be so much more expensive than everyone else. Yeah. This was at the time as well, I remember, you know, we've said about the fitness industry transitioning and the it was around the time that supermarkets, again, were being really... Um, uh, they were very aware of sugar and the sugar tax, yeah. things like that. So they were really tasked with moving sugary products away from till points, um, you know, to try and encourage consumers and really, I guess, to make them less readily available. Mate, they're everywhere. Yeah, and they'd got really nothing to put back in the place. So yeah. it was actually Tesco's at the time, Ashwin Prasad, who was kind of number two or three at Tesco's um, at the time. Uh, he was really supportive. He was kind of a grenade fan. He loved our sports nutrition stuff. And he understood what we were doing. Mm. And he he just thought, you know, from memory, he said, I see what you're going to do. We'll support you. We'll try and get you at till points and stuff. But it's gonna this is going to take years. The reality was it took about six weeks because they didn't think that consumers would go, oh, I really want a chocolate bar and it's like 60p. But I, I won't. But I'll have something that's, that's probably healthier. I'll have a grenade bar, but I'll pay two fifty. Yeah. They just didn't. They just thought it was too big a leap. Did they? Because um, you know, how would they have known? Mm. If you probably would have asked consumers, and I don't like doing these surveys. Yeah. I don't really believe in them. But if they'd probably asked consumers if they pay four or five times more for the equivalent mm. kind of item, they mm. probably would have said no. Mm. But you can't ask consumers this stuff because consumers don't really know. What, what they want. I love the Henry Ford quote, if they'd have asked consumers what they wanted, they'd have just wanted faster horses. Yeah. So, you know, if you'd have, if you'd have said the same to consumers, yeah. they probably would have said, well, a chocolate, chocolate bar, but half the yeah, price. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So um, I don't really like doing consumer surveys for those things. I think if you put something that's a good alternative in front they'll of them, choose. they'll probably choose. What made you stand out? Was it the colour wrappers? Was it the, the, the names, the fun names you were going down? What made you stand out? Apart from the taste. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, you know, the name Grenade, because again, we've kind of built this um, this hardcore following, um, really, with sports nutrition, super distinctive. And at the, you know, at the till point, we stick up like a sore thumb, yeah, don't we? Yeah. You know, we, it, it's bright orange. It's got the word, you know, grenade all over it, um, and it makes sort of no sense. It's like when you know the the, the mobile phone network came out and it was orange. It was, yeah. it was just what that got to do with yeah. mobile phone network. Nothing. It was so unbelievably random that um, it, it stood out. And 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 again, like you know being quite commercial about it as well, um, we've got an extremely high rate of sale mm. with Grenade. So a, a retailer will make more cash margin mm. out of one of our yep. products um, because, you know, if they can have 30% of three quid yep. or 30% of 50p, mm. <laughs> what mm. would you rather have? Yeah. And also we've got a higher rate of sale than those confectionery products. So more margin high rate of sale. I mean, we, we'd got petrol stations back in 2018, 2019, and we were out selling chocolate bars, mm. really well-known yeah. chocolate bars, 10 to 1. Yeah. So you could make 13p on a chocolate bar, you could make £1.50 on us, yeah. and for every chocolate bar you sell, you'll sell 10 of ours. Yeah. No brainer. No brainer. So again, we built this yeah. through the petrol station network. What made you choose? What made you choose the price of two pound fifty? Was it because that's the sum that needed to it be needed, for you to make it worthwhile? It needed it to be that for us to make something to make it worthwhile yeah. doing, holding the you know the, doing all the R and D, the tens mm. of millions of pounds of investment in stock and and whatever, but also retailer margin. Retailers need certain margin mm. in, in what margin in do retailer need? I I mean you know varies 50%? but fifty to sixty yeah. percent. Um, but you know that depending on the category and the food, some categories so you're are keeping higher, them sweet. Some are lower. 
you're paying you're paying all your products off before you're keeping them sweet and whatever's left in the deal is pretty much yours yeah yeah um you know so uh, but, you know, I like that petrol station network yeah. because remember, we've always sold sports nutrition stuff and it's sold a bit of assistance because yeah. you'd go into a GNC store right. and Barra and they'd go, yeah, you want this or you want that and whatever. Um, well, you know, going back to the success of our fat burner in GNC, we became 2% of their entire turnover. Yeah. So for every 28 products that were sold in a GNC, mm. we, we, were, we were one of the 28. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, 2% of their entire turnover. And we got stores selling... 60, 70, 80 bottles of uh, fat burner what a week. What year for you was the game changer? Let's not talk about the initial investment. Let's not talk about Lion. Let's not talk about Mondays. What year was it you, the game changer, as a brand that you were like, we're everywhere. Now we've just gone from that to that. I mean, the game changer year. It's a tricky question because it's hard to see when this filters through. I'll have to give you a few. I mean, 2010 as our launch year and the tanking body power yeah. game changer because we went from nothing to having a brand yeah. so that's obviously a monumental year i think that 2013 2014 period when we kind of have the epiphany that we're going to do bars um and, and, and we're going to transition table. and we took some cash yeah. off the table and something's recognized for the risk and the hard yes. work that we put in because look lots of people do this and get nothing agree Lots of people get nothing. Yep. I was saying before, I've got friends, I've got brands worth billions in the US and I've said, you know, you can do a lot with them, you know, three founders, you can do quite a lot with 400 million. Yep. Um, and they've got, no, no, we'll keep going. And I think then it becomes about the money. Yep. And they've, you know, they've done well, but they've got a lot less. Yep. And then you start thinking, then it's not about what you got, it's what you didn't get. Mm. And you start looking at this, I think, you know, in, in, in the incorrect way. Yep. But that 2015, the launch of that bar, I mean, even... You know, lockdown was big for us in mm. terms of gyms being closed. We lost a lot of our customers overnight. Mm. People weren't going to the gyms. They weren't moving out and about. You know, we're at the front of stores, but no one's in no yeah. one's in food stores. Yeah. And at the front of the stores, it's bloody hand sanitizer and toilet roll. Mm. You know, it's not meal deal and it's mm. not us. Mm. But, you know, we got the tank out on the road. We petitioned uh, Westminster to um, keep gyms open. Uh, what, what Haskell on there as well? That's right. Haskell's on, on the front. Yeah, he was on the front. He was on the front. Yeah, he was on the front. So, you know, I think the, you know, the tank parked outside Parliament to keep gyms open, again, was was big. Yep. It got on Lad Bible. Yep. Um, you know, I've been on Lad Bible individually mm. um, as well. Every year, there's kind of a, a, a big year for something. I mean, again, you know, 2023. Um, and well, 2021, the partnership with, with, with Cadbury's, you know, a brand from, you know, yeah. I, I grew up with working in yeah. Birmingham. I could smell the chocolate. When yeah. I was working at the, the gym and, you know, uh, up the road from Bourneville. Mm. 2023, you know, I found out I'm being made an honorary colonel. Mm. Um, you know, having chats with, you know, Richard Branson um, over the years about buying the brand and being a mentor for Virgin Startup and, you know, doing talks on Necker Island and, and stuff. It's like... You know, just on this unbelievable journey that just kind of keeps on going. And I think that's why I always say I'm not successful because, you know, we always go on to do something yeah. else. And, you know, I, it's exciting what's around the corner, really. Mm. And I think that's why people like me and you, we never mm. really stop because mm. you're only here for that short time. You know, you want to make the most of it. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm the second person ever to be a civilian that's been, you know, being made an honorary colonel. Mm. It's got to be signed off by the king. Mm. I mean, it's unbelievable. If someone said to me years ago, you'll put a half a billion pound brand, you know, and yeah. probably more, um, you know, you'll be a mentor for, you know, for Virgin Startup. You know, Richard will be emailing. He said, oh, yeah. well done. Oh, I wish I'd bought the brand. Um, you know, you'll you'll be an honorary colonel in Royal Artillery. Through, yeah, I'll, I'll invest, meet Staz yeah. and Louis. That's obviously the highlight. I should have yeah. mentioned that one. 
Um, Wonderful but, brand, by the way, through Dark. Oh, I know, yeah. Give him give a plug, give him a plug. Yeah. Um, but also as well, you know, I said earlier about founders working and sticking together. Mm. We just understand. Yep. Unless you've been a founder and created something from nothing and taken a risk, mm. no one will ever understand. And as soon as I... Um, I can't think actually how through dark got on my radar potentially. I think one one of my military friends is probably wearing it, and I didn't really pay much attention. Mm. Um, and then I realised it was really nice stuff. And um, and then I, I started looking at Staz and, and Louis mm. and realised um, again that obviously Louis the brains of the outfit. Um, and um, but you know again seeing those two these two amazing guys and mm. again being fantastic in their respective swim lanes. And I love helping, advising yeah. them. And again, they're looking for some investment and, and stuff. So I was over the moon to do it. And it, it, I've got five criteria for investing in brands and they tick everyone. Mm, um, so it's really rare that you get that. And I think- What's now, your five criteria you look for? So, uh, so my five criteria for investing in brands are, it, it's got to be a product, brand or service that I love and yep. I would buy. Um, so tick. Uh, they've got to be backable founders who mm. I really like, trust and respect. Yep. And they've got to have that integrity and authenticity. Mm. Um, tick. Mm. Uh, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have a sensible valuation. Everyone thinks their brand's worth billions yeah. or going to be worth billions. Yeah. So, you know, people message me and go, oh yeah, I've got this business and it's losing three million quid a week, but it's worth 20 billion. And do you want to buy 1% of it for <laughs> 4 billion quid? No, not really, to be honest. Thanks anyway, I'll, but I think I'll pass. I'll, uh, I'll call you. Um, so you have to have a commercial discussion around, because, you know, this is, all this is a risk, you know, running a business is a risk and I've invested in through dark and I could, you know, it could do really well. I could lose my money, who mm. knows? Um, but the, yeah, so sensible and, valuation. And you're going to invest in Eventful Lives Podcast. Obviously, yes, yes, obviously, <laughs> yes, by 0.01% of that one. Um, but the, uh, something as well, doesn't need too much time. You know, I'm mm. still full-time CEO. Um, How old are you today? Grenade. I'm 47. Okay. Because we're the same age, aren't we, mm. I think? Are you older mm. than me? Or, no, younger. Younger. No, younger. Oh, yeah, Can't you, tell. Were, you wish. No, you, could, you look older, that's why. You did that life jacket stuff I just gave you. Um, but the, so it's something that doesn't need too much time. Again, it's amazing you can tick the first three and then people want you running their business for yeah. them. And you're like, I haven't got time to do that. So, uh, and then the, the fifth is probably the most important. It's mm. got to be fun. It's got to be fun. Because imagine if you tick all those, yeah. the, the four, and it's like, oh, this is oh, a bit boring. It's boring, this. I'm not really boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so if I want to be bored, I'll ring you. Yeah. Um, but the... If I want to be bored, I'll get you on the podcast. That's true. <laughs> yeah, nine, nine hours later. Yeah. How are your cameras doing, guys? How are your batteries doing? Um, so, yeah, that's what I look for, and it's quite rare. And again, I've only got limited time. Mm. But also, I love, I'm, I'm so excited for the for, future. Yeah, but well, for me, but also for like Stasner for Through Dark, because I know what they've got to come. Yeah. And it's hell of a journey. Yeah. But like, I think there's a monstrous brand in there. The, I think know? it's turning really, into a monstrous brand. Yeah. We're very yeah. lucky to have them on board as a brand partner. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful brand. Just don't bankrupt them, because I see the financials. So <laughs> we'll have a board meeting in January. But what, you can get rid of that marketing line for a start. That's what I'm forking out for that shit. Um, yeah, no offense. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, we, I think we've talked enough about those two. Um, that's why I'm croaky actually I was down there last night I had a product launch in, in London mm. so you can imagine um, I don't really drink but you, you can imagine a, a group of hundreds of um, elite Special military service, personnel yeah, getting on it um, yes in London <laughs> yes it was not How a massive did your, piss up did your life change at all we're talking money here and you say money doesn't affect you And did, uh, did your life change from 2018 to did your life change when you got the big payout in 2021 did anything change or were you no, not really. No, okay. Was, not yeah, really. Okay. I, 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 um, you do, I suppose you do, money does one thing really, give you options. Yep. That's it. And freedom. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily with the freedom, you know, because no, the thing not, is. Maybe not freedom if you're involved with private equity, because are they sort of 
controlling you more than you would be if you were uh, your entrepreneur by yourself? I suppose, yeah, we probably didn't quite finish this one, did we, potentially? Mm. Um, I think with... Um, I think the nice thing probably about the PE is it does give you some structure. Yep. So you do it does professionalise you, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because mm. like I said, you know, it, I, I, I'm a pirate, so mm. you can easily run this like it's the Wild West. But at some point, you know, this might come and, and bite you. So yeah. it, it, it does make sure you tick more compliance boxes. It protects you. Yeah, it does yeah. give you some protection. Yeah. And I think, look, you know, if I go into the office... And I can spend time on product development and R&D and marketing and whatever. Or I can spend time on operations and finance and Mm. legal entities Mm. and blah, blah. You know, you can imagine how that's going to (laughs) go. So, um, but, you know, you you get people for that. Do you regret not having kids? I don't at the moment, no. No. No, I don't. Whether I'll change my mind on that in the future, who knows? But currently, no. No. Um, are you saying no because you haven't got kids or are you saying no generally like I'm actually got no interest in kids I don't really have any interest I wouldn't, no, really, okay. I wouldn't really have the time I, I don't come from um, I don't come from a very big family mm. to be honest if so, you had a kid would you get him to understand the, the value of a pound note or would he yeah, be having would. And, or and be having all the things that he wanted this is probably one of the reasons I probably wouldn't make a very good yeah. dad I think um, <laughs> because I think I'd want them to really go out and and, and, and graft. And I, to be fair, I've I've chatted um, to quite a few people actually of, of friends of mine who have, you know have done well who have got children, and and I've said, do you mind me asking like a personal mm. question? I said, I, you know, I actually asked. Uh, I was with someone who's worth five or six billion last week, and I actually asked him um, about what he was doing with his kids, and um, yeah, he was saying they're generally quite ungrateful. Um, mm. <laughs> but I, I think one of the best examples of anyone that I know I, I hope this is true mm. I've heard with Gordon Ramsay mm. where he, I think he matches what his kids earn yep. so I think they've gone out and I, I know Jack's in the Marines mm. um, and um, I think it's quite nice if and I know actually with Richard's so daughter mm. with Holly you know, she went to become a, a paediatrician that's right so um, I know she's working in Virgin now but yeah. I think that you know she, she her passion was to go and become a doctor yeah. so I, I think it's it's amazing if you could have children and just give your kids the freedom to mm. do literally anything they wanted. But they'll take it for they granted. Want, yeah, but that's not that's, their fault. If, no, they're born, if they're born into unbelievable It's wealth. a fine line though, isn't it? Giving them everything they kind of want to actually... And also, like, with my boy, I'm quite tough with him. Like, he can have most things he wants, but I don't go and do that. Yeah, I mean, I just know... Just to make him understand... I, I've, got, I've got wealthy friends with yeah. kids like nurses and stuff, which, again, you know, is an incredibly mm. admirable... Um, profession which obviously isn't well paid mm. you know they're not lugging their paychecks home mm. but you know anything they earn he will match yeah um and which again makes it a better paid job they're doing yeah. something they love and it's kind of being well paid but it's linked, it's linked to it like you know the parent would, yeah, okay, would, would yeah. match again i won't say that the person yeah. who is but um so i think that's quite nice you know you obviously don't want to sort of spoil your kids but then again you know you can't take it with you yeah. um, and you, you want them to have all the things that you didn't have yeah. I mean look you know as I said with my family they worked unbelievably mm. hard um, you know for very very little money mm. so I grew up and know the value of a fiver yeah. which I think is really important I, I think if you but that's the beauty of having cash yeah like, this is a whole another subject we talk about but taking cash out of the system is making people I believe not understand the value of a pound note 
because yeah. it's not I'm taking 40 quid out and I'm spending and I'm getting 20 quid back. Thank you. Very yeah. Much. Tap, go, tap, go, tap, go. And then realise how much debt they're building up. But yeah. Let's save that because we could talk I know, hours I on know, that. I know, and there's I loads know. of subjects we could talk hours on. We've been going two hours now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Feels yeah. like longer. Yeah, it doesn't. We could Sorry. Go, we could Sorry. go on for another yeah. couple of hours quite easily. Make this a six-parter. Maybe we could do, do a, a box set. Maybe we could do a part two. We should do a part two and Definitely. a part three. And we're Definitely. start thinking of some different subjects and just have Definitely. wicked conversations. Do you know what would be interesting? Great... It'd be really good um, to, to actually, if you ask some listeners again, you know, what would they like to yeah. dig more into? Well, anyone listening here on YouTube, whatever, any questions you've got for Al or myself, Put them down in the comments there, and we can have a look through, and maybe a part two later on down. Uh, in yeah, do a Q and A or something. Yeah, maybe do a live Q and A. Because yeah, as you know, my family live in Bournemouth, so I'm down yeah. there quite a bit, and I, obviously I've, I've got to. I feel obligated to come and try and help Staz and Louis <laughs> through dark in in some way, shape, or yeah. form. So I'm down there quite a bit for them. So otherwise, I wouldn't bother coming to see yeah. you. But like you know, <laughs> but it's interesting. Just get your checkbook out. <laughs> well, do you know as well? I, I I genuinely I don't do many podcasts yeah. because firstly because they all take all day. Um, but I, I don't get time. But then when we met and got on, yeah. um, and then obviously we, the first one was a bit of a misfire because they mm. left the lens cap on. So we had to come back and do it you again. Fl- you flew down with your missus, flew down to the airport, got here. And after, what was it, 40 minutes, the... the uh, thought this the camera's cam- not happening. The camera's burning, wasn't it? It was <laughs> yeah. burning up. We're like, yeah. oh, we're going to have to do this another time. I think, oh, God, this content <laughs> might be good. You were sweating. <laughs> yeah. And um, But no, look, at least yeah. we've got it sorted. But it'd be really interesting to, to sort of see what people would like yeah, to, learn, to learn more of. Because I think with, you know, with me, I mean, I'm, God, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 47 years in. Mm. Young. But 47 young. 47. Mm. But there's... You know every aspect of this business. We could just talk you know, entrepreneurs, chat. I think there'd be people who just want to know how's it, what's it like for an entrepreneur. What's your day to day like? What do you do? How does your mind work? Do, what do you do with the business buying it there? How do you reverse engineer things? There's so much we can teach by just going. Vum, 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 and it I there. also don't put much out on social mm. media because I don't really like it, mm. and I also can't see the point. Mm. But I do think. But I think for this, it be would be good for a YouTube vibe because it's long form content. Do you know what? You asked me about kids. There's one thing that the only problem with not having kids is kind of then, you know, you know, me and what I know kind yeah. of will die with me. Yeah. Um, so that's a shame because I'm yeah. the last of the Barretts, you know, which is kind of so. But that, why that's, can't you? You can still have kids. Yeah, I, I still don't want them, but yeah. I don't think that's the right reason to have them. Mm. But I think that's the only thing that potentially is probably a shame. Yeah. But that's why I've always built a brand and you want a legacy. Yeah. So the point I was going to make was really in terms of sharing content. And I do think that entrepreneurs have a, a, just a fundamental responsibility yeah. to share what they know 100%. and help others. Because one of the things like, you know, going back to Through Dark, I cannot teach them anything about clothing. Mm. They don't need that. But you can teach them the journey. I, I can help them yeah. the journey. I can yeah. tell them what's probably coming up next. You know, what happened to me? What was Private good? Equity. What was bad? What I'd do again? What to stay away from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys are good. These guys yeah. aren't. Um, you know, that didn't, you know, this might happen and you might feel like yeah. this. You, do you want to feel like you that? You are going to go through these emotions. Like I think yeah. just because, again, you know, if I can go back and invent a retrospectoscope, then amazing because we're all benefit with uh, clever yeah. with hindsight. So I think hopefully just. And again, they were talking about going in the US. And I went, okay, if you go to the US, do you know about Prop 65? Yeah, no, we don't. Right, well, you need to know yeah. about this. So That's a whole new ball. It's a whole, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think helping, you know, learning from mistakes is great. Yeah. Learn from someone else's. Amazing. So maybe that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. But thanks for having me back Mate, as well. Al, I thoroughly I, enjoyed it. You know what? I really, really enjoyed that. Don't, don't sound so surprised. No, but I, I genuinely <laughs> really enjoyed it, especially when we got into the old entrepreneurship. It gets us juices flowing, doesn't oh, it? Oh, right. Do you know what? Bam, bam, bam. Chat stuff, to other entrepreneurs is it's powerful. Infectious. It's, it's infectious. infectious. It really is. Because we've all been there. We know what's 
And 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 we'll save for another one. We'll save uh, we'll save my plane crash. Oh yeah, the uh, plane crash. Oh, <laughs> I knew you'd part forget. Two, part, part two. Part two. I actually two. didn't forget. I had in my mind, but I looked at the clock when it's two hours. Jesus, that'd be another twenty minutes. So yeah. let's save it for a part two. Yeah, that that'll be, that'll be a good one. You're a proper gentleman. You certainly lived an eventful life, and you've created a really solid British brand that's going to stay around for years. And you're going to be known as the man with your wife Jules, with respect, who set up that business. Awesome. And no one can take that away from us. So. Congratulations, awesome. mate. Thanks. Cheers, Massive brother. respect. Thanks very much. Good man. Thanks now. for having me. Cheers, mate. Take care.